The Afterburn Podcast is a proud supporter of Guns Gear Memorial Foundation, helping our veterans and their families when they need it most. To learn more, visit gunsgarin.com slash rain. Want to make a podcast? Let me tell you about Spotify's program for podcasters, and it's called Spotify for Podcasters. I've been using it for over a year now. Couldn't be happier from the switch. You can record wherever you create podcasts, whether it be your phone, computer, and it's easy to upload it and distribute it to everywhere podcasts are heard. With Spotify for Podcasters, you can earn money in a variety of ways, including ads and podcast subscriptions. Best of all, Spotify for Podcasters is completely free. So launch your podcast today. Get started with Spotify for Podcasters. Go to www.spotify.com backslash podcasters to get started. I'm very happy with how my life has turned out and whatever happens from this point forward, or from, I should say from 2017 on when I remarried with my, with my wife and my became, you know, I got my family back together and stopped being an idiot. Um, it's just been great. It's been fantastic. So yeah, I'm very happy. I mean, I might throw in there, you might want to get a new travel agent. Uh, it seems, again, the places they send you, not the best places. But, you know, again, Dude, this experience. I have timeshares in Mosul. If you yeah. want to go, you go experience, I got them for you, man. Timeshares right there in Kandahar and Mosul. We'll send you out there. You'll love it. Altitude. Altitude. Tower 26 is releasing you. Runway 411 0 at 5. Quick takeoff. Sea tide. Altitude is your eyes. We're clear for takeoff. Clear for the airspace. Fiber check through. What's up? My guest today is Chris Tonto Pronto. Not a whole lot of flying in this episode, but Chris is a very interesting guy. He's a former Army Ranger and CIA security contractor. He was in Benghazi in 2012 during the terror attacks. He's an author. You can find him over on e3firearmsassociation.com or the Battleline podcast. I enjoyed talking with Tonto. I think you're going to enjoy it as well before we get rolling into the podcast. As always, a couple admin notes. First and foremost, thank you to my Patreon supporters for keeping the podcast going. Big shout out to them. If you're liking this content, swing over to iTunes, swing over to Spotify, drop a rating and review. That helps the podcast out. It shows it to more people and keeps it growing. That's it. That's all I got. Let's get into the episode with Tonto. I remember he, he would turn to me and after we watched a scene and he, he'd look at me and goes, what'd you think? And there was a, one scene in there that they didn't get right. And uh, it was a scene where I got hit with the RPG, hit a side of the building and knocked me over. And it's when the, we, it was a, the counterattack at, okay. at the consulate. Get back, you gotta move. Contact front. RPG. Tonto, let's get up high. Bro. It's the choke point. We'll get established. Let you know when it's clear to advance. And I just remember Pablo had his hand in the his, He had a four, we had, I was carrying a Mark 46 at the time and an M4. It was 46. And I remember during the scene, he got down to charge it because it was he was showing it, charging it, put locking that bolt to the to the front and locking it in place so he could start firing. Well, his hand was his palm was down. Dude, Ranger Battalion, no, 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 no. Palms up. That's, that's <laughs> I mean, it's just little yep. things like that. And I mean, and I, I, I remember the scene went. Scene was awesome, but it finished. And 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 I looked at Pablo, and he knew this because we trained this. Me and him have actually. I said, dude, remember every time, palm up, palm up. Or every guy from the same Fifth Ranger Regiment is going to walk out of the movie. 
And I looked at him. I said, where was your palm, dude? And he goes, it was down. And he goes, fuck. Yeah. <laughs> and I went over to Michael. He goes, and Pablo's like, we got to do that scene again. And I, Michael, yeah, I go, I go, Michael, we, we have to, or, or you're going to lose half of your special operations community, particularly the Rangers. And they redid the scene again. That's I mean, cool. they redid cool. the whole, they chalked it up, they put the, and they redid it again. So, um, but like I said, it, 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 it was, it was not a lot of time on the set. It was more meeting the guys than going to base studios, helping them, you know, doing a schematic of what the actual annex and the concept looked like. Then looking at topographical areas of Malta to see if we could find places that in Morocco that would look the best. So they didn't have to construct a new set because it was filmed in Malta and Morocco. Ah, yeah, Airport was Morocco. The actual, the rest of it was Malta. And, and we did, it was amazing. The annex, honestly, in the movie, the setup, if you look from the, the sky view, it looks identical to really? what the one, what we had in, in the guy and it's set up exactly the consulate's a little off the road is diagonal uh but the road in in, in benghazi was actually straight through and not at the not at a like a, a seven to two not a seven to one it was you know it was, it was 12 yeah. to six but other than that it looked pretty good and the ambassador's house it was banging that thing was like wow see this freaking caesar's palace pool and i mean it, it really was that that gorgeous and and it really was that underprotected. As was well. it that? I mean, because I mean, the movie is a ten-acre or thirteen-acre compound. Like, I mean, yeah, it, it was nine, nine. It was nine acres, nine acres. So, and it that's was a big plot. Yeah, <laughs> that's why. Uh, yeah, that's why when we did see him, and I did say this to him, me being myself you know, on the diving board there, looking at him all, being my arrogant Tonto self, and I was, I was salty yeah, shit at that time. I'd been doing contracting for almost eleven years. I. You know, you get salty. You, you say what you want to say and because you don't have time to, you know, you're a pilot. You know the deal. You don't have time to milly mouth around. Hey. And I said, dude, you all are going to fucking die. If you get attacked by any big element, anybody gets in here, you're all going to fucking die. And I remember Scott's eyes, Wickland. And I did feel kind of <laughs> shitty. I did. I was like, man, I shouldn't have said it like that. But, you know, that's the day also. And we did. I said to him, if you ever need us, we'll come get you. And, and Roan said, yeah. We'll send, you know, and he was being a smart ass kind of, he goes, yeah, we'll send the guys, Boone's coming, you'll be good to go. But uh, I still get chills thinking yeah. about that because I remember that day too. Very, very, it was very vivid and it still remembers in my head because it was, it was like we, it was a promise and, and that's what you would get, you know, in the military. That's why we always loved, loved, the, loved the fast movers and loved all the flyboys, loved you guys because your word meant your word. Yeah. If, if you said, hey, we're coming in to drop something you're coming in and on the guys on the ground, if we said, Hey, we're, we'll come get you. If you need us, just hit us, hit that 911 call. We're on our way. It's the same thing. And that's why I get chills because it, it was a, it was a bonding moment for the team, for the guys, but also it made me very proud that not one of the guys that was there, Roan, I was there, Jack was there, myself was there, even though I was being an asshole, <laughs> there wasn't like a flinch in it. Hey, we're going to come get you. Wink, wink. Not really. It was, no, dudes, we're here for you. We'll come get you. And and um, so yeah, they, and they hit that. They hit that right. They hit that that entire scene right. That's and cool. it was a shotgun style. It, they had a little offset that we were worried about. So, uh, but um, that they blown a hole in the wall uh, about a month prior. Just they were just testing out the walls. They actually IED the compound twice before that attack. We didn't put that in the movie because you know the movie's already two hours and such. So, we, but um. For those that don't know the history, why we were there, they had had attacked the consulate twice prior to the big attack. They were doing what we would do. They were doing their little reconnaissance. They were doing their intel connections. The, uh, I was actually just listening to Fred Gavin. He was on the Cleared Hot podcast. And 
okay. I think I forget what they call. Yeah, he was talking. He was with seven Marines that got put on trial, the longest trial in Marine Corps history. And he is describing them visiting that. I mean, they show up. They're they're Marsoc Raiders, the first ones in Afghanistan. Yeah. Uh, they're you know getting bogus. You know, like there's inter service rivalry. They get the bogus. Like, hey, you know, you know, go do this. Yeah. Well, they're you know like, hey, they're going to be you know go get them. Be you know Johnny on the spot. They go out to one of the the cops meet and he's like it's you know 8 a.m in the morning it's like broad daylight and the army these guys are out there doing their drills for doing yeah you know if they came in contact which he's like they were all all the gunners were ducking and they're driving straight through well he's like obviously the taliban's in the hills and they're just watching this so they finish the meeting they leave they go drive up do some recon and then they're going to the village well they get attacked on that but um sure it's it's interesting because i mean people i mean you obviously you know it i know like the the enemy is very smart and so those type of attacks oh, they're they're, doing, they're, yeah they're, they're testing you to see what your response is going to be how when when, when do those attacks happen that's, that's how, in relation to the the one, one well the the british ambassador actually had been attacked two and a half months prior okay and uh he actually got hit they are living at our annex they actually, I'm not at RX. They were living at the consulate. The British ambassador was actually housed at the U.S. consulate there. So that was the first one. And they got hit hard. And actually the GRS team, I had come in the country yet, but uh, there were elements, I believe TIG was still there at that time. They responded to that attack. That's what the GRS guys that were there. That was about a, a week before I got into country. That was the initial. And they got hit with RPG fire down that dirt road that you go into before you go into the front of the consulate. They got hit coming back to home to the consulate. So they're already, the bad guys already know where the Americans <laughs> and the Brits and, and so they're, and actually, and on and they also had, if you watch the movie, that's spot on. They had a house that was, the Ansar Sharia had a house that was, I think it was three houses down from the front gate of the consulate. So they had a pre-positioned place that they could collect intel daily on. So that was the first attack, and then the first on an actual on an actual motorcade, and then the two IEDs happened about uh, one was I want to say forty-five days earlier, and then before our attack and before the 9-11, 2012, and then there was one thirty days earlier, and those were bombs IEDs that were put outside the walls, and they were trying to see if they could just blow holes in the wall so they could. You know they could infill that way they could just blow a hole in the wall, like we would do we'd blow a hole in the wall we're not coming through the front yeah. gate we got to come through the wall and mouse hole it but i think after their intel and the, and the, their ieds didn't work very well um uh they, they they blew some small holes in but honestly i think they'd watched so much and they watched how terrible the security was at the front gate and how lackadaisical it was they're like screw this what are we doing this for we'll just we'll just go right in through the front door and that morning prior, the movie spot on. That's what they had done. They, I remember Scott telling us, say, there's people taking pictures of all over our compound today. And it was 9-11, it was that, that morning, 9-11-2012. Um, and they were, cops would come in disguised in cop cars. It was Ansar al-Sharia and Al-Qaeda in the Maghreb. And they would stand on platforms. Over, they were taking photos to do their final planning to, to hey, well, here's the front gate. Here's the back gate. Let's do our final intel collection. All right, and then we'll kick it off tonight. And so they had done their their proper intel. Believe me, at least I, I would say at least three months prior, if not longer, that they've been collecting it just over you know over a year period, because they lived right next to the consulate. And right, and it's it's not that hard to to know Americans, especially if you're State Department. You know us, 
we try to be nondescript when we buy local cars. Um, a lot of those areas too, a lot of this, unless you're in Taliban country or you're down in, in, you know, the, the, uh, you're down in Fallujah or Ramadi, they're not wearing man jammies and stuff everywhere. Like, especially in Libya, they're wearing Western gear. They're wearing normal shirts, button down shirts. Um, and, uh, you can go buy those off the local economy. You know, there's not a ton of jeans there, but there's jeans. Tunis is right next to Libya and Tunis is dang near the Las Vegas of freaking of Africa. So there's, there's a lot of Western wear that filters in. So it wasn't hard to blend in, but state department, they never blend in because that's not how they do their security ops. I mean, bright blue, bright red, bright red land cruisers that look sweet. Uh, you know, white guys with yeah. their dang aviators or whatever you want. Standing I mean, it's just, so it wasn't hard to figure out. Yeah. And it's a nine acre compound with a U.S. flag in the middle of it. So, uh, yeah, it's right there. So where uh, is it? But that being said, <laughs> that being said, our, our annex wasn't hidden either because eventually you're going to white guys. I don't care how much you try to hodge you up. I always tell you to tell my wife, the, the weditos, the widows, the white boys coming in. Dude, you guys all look like you're on steroids. You're you got arm tats up and down. I know you're white, but you got beards down to here that look like white guys. I said you're not you're not blending in any. But I said so they're gonna know we're here, and I think we all came to that conclusion eventually. Yeah, they know we're here, and obviously when the mortars hit, they knew we were at because those mortars were fire for effect. They hit the building that they should that we would have hit. So um. Yeah, but 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 the intel was sorry. I was like, I mean, imagine at that point. I mean, you guys. I mean, obviously that consulate and the the annex is established. A lot of activity that's going in and out constantly. Yeah. The pattern of life is pretty easy to develop. And again, yeah. like you said, people are standing up or sticking out like sore thumbs. So it just takes one follow, and then you see obviously the increased security. Because I'm blanking on the name now. It was a local militia that was paid to do Blue Ma- Blue Mountain. Okay. Group. Blue How, Mountain like, group was and they were. Yeah, well, and seventeen Feb and the seventeen February Martyrs Brigade. The, there were those two. Blue Mountain Group was the British British okay. company, but they were local Libyans. Um, that uh, actually Mike Rogers, uh, Congressman Mike Rogers' wife, owned part of that <laughs> Blue Mountain Group. And um, and then there was the seventeen February Martyrs Brigade that was supposed to be our friendly brigade. They we just that was another odd thing in that country. Most of the times, if we had a a militia that was going to help us be part of us. We trained with them like Kandahar, like coast, um, even spots in, in, in oh, Kurdistan, especially with the Peshmerga. And, you know, if the, we were going to rely on them, then we usually worked out with them. We trained with them. We went to the range with them. We, we went and broke bread with them. I mean, we, you know, we had chai, we'd sit around. And I remember that we had none of that with 17 Feb. And I remember even asking Bob, I was like, Hey, you know, all these other countries that we're in, you know, this is usually what we do. If they're, if we're depending on them to help us, one of us is part of is embedded with those guys. And we go train and live with them and hang out with them. And I said, we have no rapport with 17 Feb. And he just kind of blew it off. So I, they were, they were our militia uh, in words only. They weren't friendly with us. And a lot of them, were switching sides with Ansar Sharia. A lot of them were switching sides with Al Qaeda. I mean, there was there was no, yeah, they got our backs. There there was none of that. We had no continuity with them. We had no camaraderie with them. No rapport with them, and that was something that we had at other bases. If that they were going to be responsible for our protection, and I, I I worked in Kandahar where we had a tremendous Kandahar security force. I love those guys, you know. But I was their head guy. I, I'd be go out with them. We'd go train together. We'd go play soccer in the morning together. You know, you've been in these bases. We, we spent time with them. Afghanistan's a big, big base like that with ANA 
or with any of the other Afghan security forces or NDS, the, the National Defense Service, which is their CIA. You know, I did contracts training those guys, but we spent all day with them and ate with them and hung out with them. We had none of that with, with the 17th Feb in, in Benghazi or Tripoli for that matter. Um, so I, I think it was just in, in, in words that they were supposed to help us, but they, they did. Yeah. I mean, yeah, loyalty is being bought and like, you really can't buy, you can't buy loyalty. It's going to, yeah, it's going to dissolve yeah. at some yeah, level yeah. of gunfire and just, you know, it's probably the first crack and <laughs> it's gone. The station chief that's depicted, you know, in the movie, he is a, he's a career, uh, he's a career guy, right? Yeah. Um, with that animosity that was depicted in the movie, I assume that was real. Yeah. That was, um, actually I'd worked with Bob at a different, at Mosul. He was a base chief at Mosul and he, he was, he just was your typical staffer that thought he knew everything. He was, he was, he thought he knew, he was, a, I, I, he was an East coaster that thought he knew more than everybody else. And he was very condescending to us and I, I didn't enjoy it. Now we did have our arguments. We did have our fights and we did have our, you know, I don't like you. I, and I, but we, we had to tolerate each other and I, I he knew that I didn't care for him and, and, um, and it, it, but it's one of those things where that comes with the territory. There's some bases where those chiefs are like that. They're just, they're very arrogant. They're very, they're very know-it-all-ish. They're very, they're, they're the Harvard smart guys. I come with smart guys, every smart guy that thinks they know, and they don't want to listen to people like us, even though, you know, um, a lot of us have more college than they do. I mean, shit, I almost, I have a master's. I almost have my second master's. I mean, it's, it's if they want to split hairs and put on paper, yep. but, um, but they don't, they don't see us that way. Um, now that being said, that wasn't at every base, though. and that's what I want people to. Also, I had some tremendous chiefs as well. I had tremendous chief base chiefs and station chiefs that were outstanding, especially the old jawbreaker guys, the guys with the, that were in the Mujahideen wars. Those guys were badasses, but also they knew how to handle themselves when situations like that took place, and they would let us do our jobs. Where I, Bob didn't, Bob, Bob didn't know what the hell he was doing as far as that goes. He knew how to, he knew how to do his case officer stuff. That's what he did. I, we didn't mess with that. He's an expert at that. Let him do his thing. But when it came to us having control in the stuff that we knew more than he did, he wasn't going to let that happen. And you saw that in the movie, but you also saw the animosity between, between us all where I, I, he just really didn't care. At least the feeling I got in my opinion, especially with the arguments that we got in and the, and the, just the tolerate, the, the daily, we have to tolerate each other every day. Um, and just the gut feeling, you know, you can tell when somebody don't like you. Right. It's, it's a, it, it just, it just the animosity was there. It was, grew every day. And then he, there were two other instances that we had where he didn't let us go out the gate. The first attack, the first thing with Rowan at the beginning of the movie, that happened. It was that, the only difference was it was at night. It was a nighttime. And he went out to pick some pick somebody up at the airport and he actually went out to pick up some of our supplies from the airport too and they stopped him and i remember he's on the radio and he's i need you guys i need you guys and we got spun up and we're me and boone are sitting in the car and we're keeping it low um we had another guy there uh that wasn't there that night at benghazi his name was beast and he was a 75th guy and him and tig were out of the cars and they're screaming at bob because bob won't let us go help Roan. Yeah. He's like, nope, you're going 17 Feb. And they're like, fuck you. No. And me and Boone are sitting there watching it all. We're pissed too, but they're already, they're already yelling at it. We don't need to throw more, more fuel on the fire. And then Roan came through. He goes, Roger, we, we talked our way out of it. I'm coming home. Disregard. You guys stand by, stand down. He didn't say stand down. He goes, we, he said, stand by. Um, that's what Roan said. And Roan had talked his way out of it. And he did that. He actually, 
he drew down with his M4, not a pistol. He was like, <laughs> we got a drone. I'm in it right now. If you guys want to go after it? Because we talked like, Ron, what'd you do? He said, I just, I pointed my gun and said, we're ready to go right now, right here. And I'm going to die. If I, if I have to die, I'm going to die. I'm going to take you with me. And we got drones overhead and he bluffed his way out of that situation. And, and um, so that also led to that animosity with Bob is because it, it was a track record with him. We already have him not letting us go to help. And we had another incident with a case officer and our an interpreter got hemmed up in town and he wouldn't let us go to that one either. Um, we eventually did, but it was another of, no, you guys aren't going. This is, no, that's not your job. Well, poor shit, it's not our job. It's our job in every other country except Libya. Why isn't our job... And, it had a lot to do with, I think he just being his last tour. Um, I had a lot to do with being an insecure individual that liked to control people, especially alpha males, uh, <laughs> or guys like us. But I also came down to where, yeah, he was retiring. He was done. This was his last duty station. Don't want any instance on your last duty station. He's a cis level. And you know that that's a high level. He's going to retire at a cis level. And he, you know, he had a job locked in at the farm as a contract instructor. So the dude's going to live large and he doesn't want any incidences at all. So, it was a, it was typical. Well, yeah, you get this as well. It's typical of avoidance. Well, I don't want any incidences. Let's just avoid the problem and it'll work out itself. If some people die, eh, it's all right. But uh, you know, I'd rather, I'd rather be risk averse than actually do my job. And that was, that was my opinion of him. And it's a strong opinion, but it's never wavered. I've never changed that opinion. And what, since the movie came out, when I started physically outwardly talking about it, and I haven't changed that opinion since 2012. It's always been the same. So. Yeah, and obviously it's depicted in the movie. It it's funny. I mean, I've actually recorded several podcasts, and I'm not sure how the sequence is going to release. I've recorded them over the last week, and that theme has actually come out. I was recording one last night with two buddies, and then that exact same thing of leadership kind of made its yeah. way to the top. We had some really good bosses that we had. We had a common story. Uh, that tied together with, you know, boss turn around saying, no, we're not doing that because the flip side of it, it's the risk averse guys yeah. who they, they, I, I always said it too. I, I've had a lot of phenomenal bosses. I've also had a couple really oh, bad yeah, ones, bet. but the bad ones, I always said that they view command is almost a threat. It's a threat to their progression. Only something bad can happen. That's going to derail them. And, you know, in the military, for those who don't know, it's like someone in your squadron or unit does something um, and it's going to, yeah. you're going to, you're going to get fired and it's, you're going downhill yeah. because yeah, your people can't hold it together, whatever it might be. So guys who get in that position who are risk adverse tend to act yeah. that way. Everything is super cautious, but and it's, and, and, it's frustrating. You know, that's, you, you, it is. And cause you can't be that way. And you know, you can't be that way in combat. I mean, you're good at your job, you train, you get trained up your, 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 your every day. You're, I mean, at that level, we know our jobs at that level. There's no rookie on the base at that time. Yeah. And there are times where there is a rookie and you have to be careful, but even then you got to throw them through the wolves. Sometimes they got, they got, you know, they, you got to throw them into the fire and see how they see, see if they burn or they come out the other side. But yeah. that base wasn't like that. All of our whole team were senior guys. They were 40 year old guys that have been doing it for as contractors in the military for 15 plus years. Uh, so I, I just, you know, I, I do talks on leadership and I think that's uh, one thing that, that we miss in leadership now is that decision-making, uh, you know, the worst thing you can do is make no decision. Absolutely. The best thing, make a decision. And that's one thing about special operations and, 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 you know, fast movers and even the rotoring guys, especially the task force guys, make a decision. We can adjust fire off a bad decision. Absolutely. It's when you just stand and do nothing 
you're going to lose because you're doing absolutely nothing. And I learned that from Ranger Battalion. I learned that from, I, I was very blessed. My first battalion commander, and he don't remember me. I was a private, but I remember him was Stanley McChrystal. To have that guy as my first, and he was a lieutenant colonel at the time, my first commander. And then him, his way of thinking, you know, filtered down to all those junior leaders, which is, nope, all right, what we, let's go. Yeah. Let's go. We'll figure this shit out. Let's start moving, though. If we don't start, and, and then it comes down to door kicking in when you're, when you're a door kicker. What's the, what's the main thing? Well, there's speed, there's surprise, violence of action. But what are you always doing? You're always finding work. You're always moving forward. And if you mess, mess up, well, we'll adjust on it. But it also comes the realization that you have and, 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 and infantry guys and even and then the special operations guys have and, and, you know, even mechanized, it's war. The possibility of somebody dying is there. We know this. You can't avoid it. What are you going to do? Cause more deaths because you're not going to make a decision or because you're chicken shit? No, that's what's going to yeah, happen. Absolutely. So let's make a decision. And that's why I, when Roan said that, and he did say that that night when he said, hey, just let us get eyes on. At least let us get so we know what we're up against. And I, we even testified to that during the select committee hearing, the first one, which was a complete farce. It was a joke. But then also Trey's was actually did. The Trey hearing was, I mean, I, I think he could have hammered him better. But the hearing itself was was pretty legitimate. We even said that. It was, hey, when we first, I got asked, like, what were you guys going to do when you went out the gate? I got asked by some aide or some counsel, and there are all these 30 somethings that sit behind the, the actual, the actual Congress people that are on the table and are down in the basement of the white house. Like, what were you going to do when you got out there? Like, well, collect Intel, figure out what was going on. That's what we do. I mean, what are we going to do sitting here? Yeah. Nothing at all. And it does nothing for us. Well, yeah. And he said, and I remember his smart ass comment. He was, well, you knew you could have died. And I was like, yeah, that's, I mean, that's, I'm that's getting paid. I'm, I'm paid to go do this. Sign up yeah. for it. Yeah, I, I don't get paid to sit, and I me still being my smartass. I said I don't get paid to sit in the basement of a White House and ask me questions and be a smartass. I remember I remember Kennedy. He was on one side, and who was the other? There was another one. I think it was Michelle Bachman. They kind of smiled and laughed a little bit, but it really pissed me off. It's like, yeah, what do you think that we sign up for? What do you think that people on the and that's what I wanted to say. People on the front lines, what do you think we're doing out there? That was our job. And I said, and I even said to him at that point too, during the hearing, I said, we were expendable. We knew that. It's not, we're not sitting here. And I said, I wouldn't be sitting here if it was us that died. It's that you left an ambassador, an ambassador that rated at a three-star general, vice president level. You let him die. That's what I don't understand and why that's what's inexcusable with us. And we all agreed to that. Every one of us on the ground would tell you the same thing. Boone, Oz, Tig, Jack, Roan, you know, if he was still with us, Bob, even if you're still with us, they would say the same thing. Hey, we're expendable. We're not sitting here because you left us behind. We knew that you guys were going to leave us behind. <laughs> it was that you left, that you left him behind. And then you wouldn't let us go help him. And that, that was the big deal. I think that's why Benghazi was such a huge deal, at least to us. It wasn't because they left us, you know, we're, Hey, I, I got you, man. I, I'm just a ground pounder. I'm out there. I get it. I'm, I'm a dime a dozen. But you left this guy that is extremely important and that doesn't happen. In fact, it never has happened until now. Okay. And not that uh, diplomats haven't died, but you've never left one to die when we had the assets to, get, to do something to help about him it. Out. Yeah, to do something you, about it. Yeah. Yes. And uh, yeah, so that experience in itself, just, just going through the hearings, it, it 
it, it kind of made me a little sad and disappointed because I saw the house of cards. I saw behind the curtain. It was like the Wizard of Oz. I finally saw it and like, gosh, man, the politicians, they really don't give two shits about us at all. Their leadership, honestly, is awful. They don't know how to lead their way of a paper bag. And man, all they really care about is re-election and, and, and that's it. Saying what people want to hear, and but they're really not going to go through with it and going to going to help out with it and they're going to use every asset they can to 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 dispel or to misrepresent the people that are actually trying to put the truth out there and i saw that with you know getting questioned by the fbi i saw that during the hearings it's like they didn't really want to find the truth they just or, or hold people accountable they just they just wanted to know what we knew and how much dirt we could, <laughs> throw, we could throw on somebody by what we knew so but it, you know it was an eye-opener and that's why i really have very little respect for politicians and 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 DC in general, and that honestly, that's why I'm not in a party. I, I I would I was a Republican. I was I was a conservative. I was in that party, and when I saw some of them actually turn on us, uh, which you know the McCains and the Rogers and and uh, and the Boehners, um, it's like man, I, screw this. I, I'm not. I am not on any side. I'm. i and I was at that time. I was p- pretty pissed off. I was on Tano's yeah. side. I'm on my well, side you, now. But, screw you. you know, pulling on that thread, this is the one thing, and other guys will say this, you know, the way our country has become so polarized, it's left or right, and that's it. And yeah. I think you yeah. nailed it, like one, term limits. Put term limits on. The fact that you can sit there for yeah. you know, five decades, the amount of power you gain there is ridiculous. And you're focused, right? You're focused on getting reelected, which requires you to have companies donate to your campaign, yeah. right? So you're going to protect their interest. As it goes along, um, I mean, yep. you know, this it, it really spirals out of control. So, like, who are you really concerned about? And I, I completely believe everything you're saying there. Where, like, honestly, you really cared about everything that happened. That was you lived it. Yeah. But inherently, most politicians, they're wor- I mean, they're worried about their constituents, and are their constituents worried about what happened to Benghazi? Like, they should be, but unfortunately, like, did how long did it live on the news cycle? That's the piece that's messed up. And the fact that like you can't have the conversation, like I don't have to be one side or the other. Like I might go, you know, little left this way or right this way. I mean, I fall more on the conservative side of the house, but again, like it does it, it's, it's polarizing. Everything is polarizing, which. Well, you know, that's, we we call bullshit when it's bullshit, whether it's right or left, it's, it doesn't make a difference. If it's bullshit, it's bullshit. If it smells like that's what it is. And, and it, 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 it just, it, I'm glad. I'm glad I saw it. Uh, the reason is because I know, and now I don't have to. Well, am I am I am I taking the right side? I know I, I don't need to take a side anymore. I, and that's that's the polarization that people haven't got away from. And I think the news, the the media itself, that we need to do away with the twenty four seven cycle. We don't need that shit. That that is awful. I don't care if you're a Fox hate lover or a CNN lover, or you, for some reason you like watching MSNBC. Yeah. <laughs> I, I mean, I. I can see the other two innocent. I still can't figure that one out. But even if you do, it needs to go away. It, it, we don't need that anymore. And that power that you're talking about, especially with politicians, we've seen that with dictators, with the countries that we've went in or with the Taliban that we went in to, to get out or to overthrow. And we did. We overthrew them, guys. As much as you want to church it up, we overthrew Gaddafi. We overthrew Saddam. We, we were helped overthrow Mubarak. Do you, don't think we didn't have a part yep. in that. We did. Uh, if you want to ask me, go ask Valerie Jarrett and Barack Obama. I'm sure they'll tell you. No, they probably won't, but we did. And um, it, it, it's control, it's power, it's leadership, and you can't, you won't let it go unless somebody overthrows you. Well, we don't do that in this country, which I'm glad we don't. We don't need that. But 
if you're a Nancy Pelosi or you're a Mitch McConnell or something like that, you've been in power that long, you ain't any better than a Saddam Hussein or a Gaddafi because you're not going to relinquish that control because you love that power. You love that control. And obviously that's why they stay in for so many years. It's not about money. They have tons of money. It's that I have this power. And I'll tell you what, when you have a little bit of a taste of that power, especially with the media, how it it gashes your head up. I've been there. I haven't been at that level, but the media can gash your head up. You don't want to let it go because vices become easy to obtain. And man, I'm telling you, and the devil, the devil's right there giving you everything you want. And just that ego gets fed over. And it's it's funny because I don't think that we're very much different than those, the Saddam Husseins of the world, no more Qaddafis. I don't think our longstanding politicians are much different than them at all. As much as they say they are, I don't think they are. It's just luckily for us and luckily because of the second amendment and luckily we, because, (laughs) because we have, we have, I think as far as country goes, we're pretty virtuous country. I know, we're, I mean, I wouldn't say we're in the top 50% of people in the country are virtuous, but we're more so yeah. than other countries that people will stand up if if D.C. gets too out of hand. But that being said, I think the politicians push it to the limit of what they can get away with and how far they can control people. And, and we're kind of seeing it right now with, with them trying to change the Constitution or adding amendments and I get the Constitution has been changed before. You know, we've had, what do we have, 26 amendments? So I'm, I'm not a scholar on that, but we've had a lot of amendments. But I can only remember one amendment where they actually took something away, and that was prohibition. And that amendment didn't work right. very well. And actually, we, we, we rescinded that amendment. So I, I hate it when, I, I can't stand it when people, ah, yeah, we've changed amendments over and over. No, every amendment that we've changed, except for one, gave people more rights, gave them more freedom, except for one. And how'd that work out for us? It worked out well for Al Capone, but other than everybody else, it really didn't work out exactly. well for and, and so, um, yeah, and that's a that's a control issue, man. It all goes back to control, and and um, yeah, I, I mean, that, I hope that I hope that sound bites out there somewhere where yeah, Tano said that our politicians aren't any better than Saddam Hussein or Omar Gaddafi. Well, you know, the the fact that yeah. our country got out the gate <laughs> with our founding father fathers who realized that you know you need to transfer power and not stay in is amazing because typically. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, every human being is susceptible to that. And the fact that they stepped oh, yeah. aside and it's changed over the years. But um, <laughs> you were, I mean, the fact that we got this far down the road because most nations don't have that. Like They don't. Well, we're, I think we're the only ones that actually still have the, uh, the, the freedoms that we have. I, I don't think many, there's many countries out there where they have that, you know, uh, the, the second amendment, first, first amendment and the second amendment, especially, um, you know, or, or even the, the, uh, even I, I, well, the right to vote. No, it's, it's still, there's, there's countries where women still have a problem voting, or, or if you're not within a political, you're not within a tribe, you yep. can't vote. I, so we're very blessed to have that. And you're exactly right. How the humility is what we've lost in leadership. And that's when you say people stepping aside, you had to be one humble son of a bitch to say, you know what? man, I got all this power. I'm just going to let it go. And, and, and disciplined as well. Yeah, and you're right. I, I completely agree with you. I, people give our forefathers a bunch of crap. No, hell with you guys. There's no way. Our forefathers were amazing. To write that in there, just have the foresight to see that. And people in Canada, they love it. They're jealous of us right now because they don't have that. And I know they want, I wish they did. 
but our forefathers to be able to do that and write that and see that foresight, but then also have that. Yeah. We, we don't want to lead forever. Yeah. I, I, we need to, we need to go back to that. I, I think I would be a great amendment to the constitution if we needed to make it an amendment or a law or whatever we need to do to, to give the term limits. I said that six years ago, term limits for all Congress, for all senators and representatives for, the, for all Congress, term limits, term limits, term limits, get them out of there because leaders themselves, I think, we learned that from the from the military, especially, is the turnovers that we do when a new leader would come in. Well, the success, the the unit itself is still going to be successful because you have good leaders that are going to step aside and they're going to give a good turnover to that leader coming up. Well, why can't you do that in Congress, guys? Oh, if I if I'm not here for twenty years, it'll, it's going to fail. No. no, if you're a good leader, you will turn over what you've done to that person coming up, and they'll take it on to that next level. That's how the military works. That's how range, I, range of battalion. I, I learned so much just watching leaders and how that worked. Because you know, our pl- platoon leader when he makes E three when he makes O three doesn't mean he's going to be a captain at range of battalion. He's going to go somewhere else and he may come back. But to see the the transfer and really to see it seamless and still see the big machine still be successful, extremely successful based off the good turnovers that were given back and forth and being taught turnovers when I became an, an officer in the military of how to properly do a change of command. We have the ability to do that, obviously. And believe me, all us knucker draggers are not the sharpest tools <laughs> in the shed, but we can right. do it. Why can't all you smart kids do it? All you Ivy League grad, all you doctorates and juris doctorate, why can't you guys do it? Well, because you don't want to do it because you don't want to give up that yep. power. But I, 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 I'm glad we're having this conversation because I, I think it needs to still be in there. We need to get those term limits in there. And I know we're, we're talking about Benghazi, but really it does flow into all that. I, I think if we didn't have people that had so much control or so much ego in the office when that was going on, I really do believe we would have got some help. We had some people with some humility, some humility, some virtue, some faith, um, and, and just just a good heart. It, it, it would have happened. Um because I know there's people out there, obviously, like yourself. I know there are many troops that had those good hearts that were willing to come to us that were just left in the dark yeah. until they found out on the news the next day. And, you know, we talked about yep. it in our podcast, but I do know that as a fact as well from the, the Marines, the the the, uh, the Mew that was in the Mediterranean, the ones that were in Spain, the 10 Special Forces Group guys that were coming back in, that were going to, from the uh, Joint Operation Command and, and pre-positioning to even the Delta Squadron that was training out out in that area (laughs) and it started to move to us too and and uh so but it's it's the leaders that don't have that integrity or heart anymore man and i i brought i don't know how to get it i I really wish i knew how to say yeah this is the way we're going to get it back i i guess the best way again would be if you gave them term limits well this is what you got get everything you can in at that point and then then you're well i've talked about this too on other podcasts because the you know the problem we have i think as a nation you know we can't plan more than six months, two years out, best case scenario. And then, you know, if you look at near peer threats, like, I don't know, maybe something that's out off to the West, they have a 40, hundred year plan. I mean, everything is singular focused. It's what we used to do. It's what we used to be where, Hey, this is a nation. This is where we want to go. And this is how we're going to do it. But now it's, you know, all these singular entities, entities, you know, whatever group that might be, but people focusing on their, interest in their needs interest. over the indi- individual, the individual interest of the needs over the, over the countries, over the group. And that's, 
That's how teams fail. 100%. Obviously, everybody knows that from the from the Pop Warner League yep. on up. That you learn that from the get go. There's no I in team. I mean, the old old cliche. Well, that's that's spot on. But a team is not going to be successful unless you think about others and put others before yourselves. I, I man, I've said that before too. I actually said that on one of the Paramount things, and I, I really meant that. And I, I get that from the John fifteen thirteen, which the military serves from. I mean, that that's that's one of the one of the verses in the in the Bible that the military pulls from. It's that love is no greater than this that a man lay down his life for his friend. Well, that's putting others before yourself, sacrificing for others, and that's not what we have in our leadership in D.C. And obviously, that wasn't what we had as a whole trying to that we were trying to get to help us that night on that following morning. Um, but we had it on that team and it's still, it's still even, even saying all the negatives, I still would go back there at that moment because having that focus and in that moment, that 911 call, worst case scenario, there's six of us and not seeing one guy flinch. And we didn't all like each other too. That was another yeah. thing. We, Oz and I didn't really care for each other. Roan tolerated me, but <laughs> he was so upset with me all the time because I always got us in trouble and he was always having to cover for me. But, you know, when shit hit the fan, it was not a, it was looking at each other's eyes. We're Roan's guy. Hey, you guys, we don't need to go. We don't have to go. And just hearing the silence, nobody said a word. We're just looking at him. Everybody's just looking at him. And I can just, the guys are standing around me looking at Roan and, it, just like it's quiet, but you know in that quiet that everybody's saying, "Are you kidding me?" No, we're going, and then everybody just sprinted and started doing their doing what we needed to do to prep to go. And I, you, that to me is the perfect world right there. That's the perfect team scenario, and that's the perfect way of thinking um, where you're willing to put your life down for someone else's, and everybody else is thinking the same thing. And it's a split second thought that nobody needs to question. It's just you yep. do your job. And that's, but we did, I go back to DC. We don't have this kind of people. Well, I mean, you know, you, you, the comparison, yeah, it, the comparison be made, I think as a nation to World War II, right? Everyone was in it to win it. And then maybe, yeah. you know, foreshadowing here, which doesn't give you a warm fuzzy, but when COVID hits and <laughs> people are hoard, yeah. hoarding toilet paper um, and whatever, you know, else was like this, you know, was the toilet paper, sand, yeah. hand sanitizer, soap, and, soap and there was one yeah, other thing just, too what, but that i, I mean I, the thing like that wasn't I, even we didn't have like a real problem like i mean covid right so I, you know we didn't have an existential threat where the nation was done and you're <laughs> melting extra pots and pans to make you know guns and stuff. Like, know, could you imagine today if you asked people like hey we need you to turn in your extra metal items so we can melt it down to make planes and stuff like no nah, we're a bunch no, of individuals I mean, yeah, I could, I could not see. I could, cause I can see John Kerry melted down his freaking plane, or, or, or I. You would like to think, you know, on the other flip side, would would Donald Trump do the same thing? Would he not melt? I don't know if yeah. he would. I. That's the question. Though. That's the thing. We shouldn't even be asking that. It's like, yeah, I, it should be. Hell yeah, he's in charge. Of course he would. He's, he'd lead by example. Of course he would. He'd lead by example. Of course Hillary would do that. She'd give all her her cars and planes, and Bill and her would. They they lead by example, but. I would put dollars to donuts that they wouldn't. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, and that's what's sad is that, is that that shouldn't even be a question in, in itself, but that's, that also is a testament to that. We still have that hope because that generation, that gene is still in us somewhere. It's still yeah. there. I mean, it's, it was passed down generation. I, 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 I love where I live in Kansas because a small town, Kansas, cause that feel is still out here. 
yeah, fair enough. That feel of hey, you know, hey, we, we, we're going to help. We'll help each other. If, if something goes bad, everybody puts everything down and is going to help out. And um, it, it's still a good feeling to live out here with that. You know, you got to you got to brave the winters, which are pretty brutal Flat, in the Midwest, cold, anywhere yeah, in the Midwest, right. until you get yeah, <laughs> until you get down to down past Dallas. The the winters can get pretty brutal, but um, that's but that thing is it's is we're the we're the minority. We're, that's not the that's not how the majority of people think is that and but i get i get i still on a not on a pot on a negative but ending on a positive that gene is still there in us it came from that greatest generation we have that in there we just have to maybe turn off social media too much listen to the podcast especially this one one. (laughs) i think you're right and so here and to be fair right the one and this is another thing i've talked about you know we live in the age of social media you mentioned the 24 7 news network yeah. That stuff is being manipulated. If it, if this technology yeah. existed, you know, during the Cold War, a amazing tool for both the United States and the Soviet Union yeah. to manipulate a populace. I mean, it's it's happening today. People, yeah. if they aren't aware, like there's You're some right. great articles out there that's happening in Ukraine. Uh, Lex Friedman was on the Joe Rogan podcast, and he was talking about the Ukrainians and the Russians. Neither one, like the Russians, think that the West it's all Fox News, and the Ukrainians don't believe there's any propaganda. If you don't think you're being fed propaganda, you're an idiot. And and the tools that are available for businesses, social media companies, nations, and other parties to, you know, feed ads. If it's feeding you and me, you know, we're taking your gun ads to get us riled up. That's what they're going to do. And then if in the flip side of it, if you're an anti-gun person, they're feeding you all these massive shootings and things like it's it's there and the tools are out there. To me, so I say that because maybe it is. There's a lot of noise. There's so much noise that at some point you're just like, I got this. Is too much. You got to turn it off. Well, yeah, that's it. You got to kill the noise. I I don't watch the news anymore. I haven't done a Fox or CNN interview, and I've been asked, and I've told them no, I don't do it. In 2017, I I tried to commit suicide in 2017. A lot of people that listen, I've read the Ranger Way, know this, but uh, um. I was so angry and I was so, inst- and I was estranged from my wife. I was divorced from her. We, 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 you know, we, we did remarry. We're back together. And of course, greatest, probably the, probably the smartest decision <laughs> I ever made. But, um, a lot of that was because of the noise. And I was a big part of that. And it doesn't make you happy. It may make you money. I, I had more money then than I do now, but I was, I was the most miserable person in the world. And it's because I was in that noise and all that does is piss you off. And it helps other people, especially those networks, make a ton of money, but it does nothing for that person, especially their soul. And, and I would look back now, I, it did nothing for the country. I wasn't, I wasn't helping anyone. I was helping a side right. again, back to the sides. I'm helping a side, but is that really helping bringing this country together? And isn't that what I tried to sign up for was to protect everyone, not a side, not saying that I don't still have my yeah, opinions. Absolutely. I do. I, I, I'm, I, we do, but there is a time where, the noise has to be turned off. And the problem is, is a lot of people can't turn that noise off anymore because it's just like a drug. It's like crack. It's cocaine. I got to have it. I got to have, it. I got to have my, I got to have my Tucker Carlson. I got to have my Anderson Cooper. I got to have my Jimmy. Ka- like, no, you don't dudes. Turn it off. You don't need it all. In fact, I enjoy more sitting on my front porch, listening to the birds. Remember when we used to do that? Remember when we used to go outside and what? play catch with our, with our, you know, remember when I jump on the trampoline with my boy, it's 103 degrees out. I go for a run. I come back. I jump on the trampoline with my boy in the sprinkler instead of watching the, remember when we used to do that kind of stuff? And now it's, 
now it's no, I need to, I need to have a side. I need to believe in this or that or what. Believe in God. Believe in the Constitution. Believe in your family. You're good to go. That's all you need to believe in. And but but and you're all right on the propaganda side too. I mean, who really who who perfected that? Especially when we were in. Well, Al Qaeda and the terrorists perfected that propaganda. You know, and they utilized it to their advantage. You remember those those recruiting videos that are cutting people's heads off. I remember the, the the dump truck bomb that they did. It was one of the first big ones they did where it blew up. I forget the name of the hotel. We actually responded to that. I was in Baghdad when that one happened. And we actually we had just been in the hotel the day before. And then we came back to get all the Americans out of it. But those were, honestly, when we're looking at the videos, they were pretty cool. Yeah, I mean, did you see the ISIS videos? Like the, the, the ISIS, ISIS video, like, I mean, you're talking drone shots, like flying down. I mean expert execution they, when it yes, came to the propaganda yes. machine obviously recruiting yeah. recruitment and so to think that that it's not used for the wrong by the wrong people or whoever you want to term is the wrong person or it's not used for the wrong means well bull crap it's not our enemies perfected that in fact they, they i 2003 was when they first started doing it and it just all that zakari was awesome at it he's the one that him and his group at, with when aqi first started but yeah the isis videos took it to the next level because they had the 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 the, the yep. medium got better obviously you know from myspace to yeah. facebook to, but you're also right on the sides brother it's funny wars are always started because both sides think they're right and I always find the contradiction in that because, you know, I was part of that Absolutely. as well. And I always, you know, I'm, I'm part of a war because I think we're doing the right thing and I think we're right. But I, I tell you about 2008, 2009, I, I really started to doubt that. And there's a scene in the movie and it's how we all felt. I'm glad we got it in there because we all felt that way that night in 2012. All of us have been doing it for so long, but you see Jack and Roan sitting in the movie. It's in the movie and they're talking to each other. And that particular conversation, it might have happened, it might not have, they were up there, but what he said was what we all felt. We wanted to get that in the script. It was, man, and they're talking about how Jack had just found out his wife was pregnant. That was spot on. He just did. And he had just done a video for her. You know, he had to run downstairs. That That's exactly what happened. Crazy, I remember yeah. that. But him and, you know, Roan actually, his first kid, he had, and they'd, he got divorced and somebody, other raised, somebody else raised his kid. And this was the original the original of the GW when GWOT started when global war on terror started and we all felt that way. It was, you know, it was like, Hey, you know, um, we all used to do this for something bigger, which we meant we always do this for bigger. It was bigger than us. You know, we're doing this for our country. We're doing this for our brothers. And I remember all thinking, man, that something bigger is gone now. And we all felt that way. And I, 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 I actually almost start crying cause I got choked up cause it really, it really did feel that way when that night happened. And then it even more so when I started to see what really was going on behind the curtain. But it was like, man, when I first went into Iraq, yeah, you know, hey, protect America, let's go. But by 2012, after going to all multiple places in Afghanistan and Iraq and Yemen and Libya and all these other places, and then do, even doing shady shit in South America and Central America and, and, and even doing anti-piracy work off the aid in <laughs> Somalia and all that crazy... It really was anymore that something bigger, that patriotism, the, that I'm doing it because my leaders have my back. It's what our, we need to do because our foreign policy, we need to protect our borders. We need to protect America. That wasn't there on Island 2012. It was gone. And I'm glad we put that in the movie. And every time I see it, I almost, I, I do almost cry because it, it, it kind of hurts a little bit. It's like, man, 
you go into what all those, what all veterans have at some point, a, a little bit of self-doubt, like, man, I missed all this time with my kids for what? But I, you know, I, but it, I, I get back to that. I, I, I'm, I don't let that take me down that demon yeah. hole that I used to, because it was essential. I'm, I'm glad I did what I did. I did miss a lot. Um, and I, now I can at least rationalize it, that I didn't do it for my country. Even though I am very patriot, I love the United States. I did it because I didn't. I'm hey, if anybody if anybody doubt did it did it and says it wasn't enjoyable, they didn't enjoy it. They're lying to you. We did. I did. I enjoyed it, but I I did love the camaraderie. I loved the brothers and sisters that we had next to us at the time. We had some great targeters that were at the agency that I loved to death too. One of the best targeters. And I ever worked with in Benghazi at the time, and she was awesome. And I knew she had my back as well. And if, if this shit hit the fan, so it, it was just amazing feeling. But that's something bigger of that's something bigger of. I'm doing it for my country. By 2012, that wasn't there. It was, it was- uh, I'm a lot slower than you because it took me till August of last year to to realize that. <laughs> so um, and. They're too much G-forces yeah, on yeah, your head, I'm just not that smart. So, yeah, it, it took a while. But it is an interesting thread. I've talked to a lot of buddies about this. Your story and mine, obviously, apples and oranges. I can't compare to, like, what you've been through. Um, well, I, bro, I can't compare to what yeah. you've been. Come on. I threw yeah. up in my – I told you this. I threw up my flight suit. If you've even tried – even 1G. I'm like, yeah. I'm, I'm not, this is not but, for me. you know, it's the – when 9-11 happened – you know, I mean, every, the, the drums were beaten, everyone was patriotic and it it was time to, to go back and get the people, you know, who killed a bunch of innocent Americans. And then it just slowly over time devolved. I mean, we kicked the hornet's nest and like, there was no going back once the hornet's nest had been kicked. And now this, 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 you can't put it back. Humpty Dumpty cannot be put back together again. Um, and it's a, I mean, it's a big, and like, this will be a problem that we deal with forever, but a lot, a lot Forever. of people have made a lot of money uh, off this, and I, I mean, I agree. Like, there's, uh, there's some good things that were done. There are obviously some bad things that were done. Yeah, the, a lot of people are not coming home. That, um, yeah. you know, a lot yeah. of lives are changed forever. Uh, kids yeah. without family, husbands, you know, without wives, wives without husbands. I mean, you can go on, yeah. and that's, that's part again. That kind of took me. It's like we all knew what was going to happen with Afghanistan. Like that was a yeah. foregone conclusion the strategic plan of that withdrawal was abysmal how that even got passed like again the enemy always gets to vote no matter what the plan is and at a minimum like if that was your plan one don't give up your two most strategic and fortified yeah. positions <laughs> and fall back to the you know the hodgepodge civilian airport to do your mass you know military and yeah. civilian and a non-combatant evacuation. I, I don't know wow. anything about it, but I can tell you like, that's not how you do things. And you probably could find any O three, any O one, O two, or O three. You, you could find an O. That's what I said. You could find an O one to do it right out of IOBC yeah. uh, or officer, infantry officers, basically that could do plan that better than that quagmire. And that, that just, again, verified to me how inept well, DC and the leadership it, is and, and military leadership, how it's gone from having actual military leaders to now you just have politicians trying to get out there. So when they're done with this, they got that multi-million dollar book deal. And hey, I'm not going to complain about book deals. I, yeah. I, I am the pot calling the kettle black there, but still it, it's, it, I didn't do it to sacrifice thousands of thousands of lives. Well, man. and you know, that plan, and I don't have any inside knowledge on this, but the planners are going to be 
O4s and O5s, you yeah. know, sitting wherever. Yeah. And then the plan is going to get passed up and vetted. And then ultimately yeah. it's going to be a political decision that, hey, no, like we got to give these. I mean, you give Kandahar and you get Bagram back. Well, I don't know how fast the Taliban recaptured those, but it was probably within about five minutes. Um, it was you know, um, yep. Yep. in all, and it's all political. And if, you know, Trump said, Hey, we're getting out of there. Biden is now dealing with that. Um, yeah, to be fair, right? Like, Hey, this was the plan, but we're adjusting the plan. Like we're still, you know, uh, we can go on and on this. Well, you know, with that too, I, I did. And I, I'm not, again, I'm not a Trumper. I'm not a, I, I'm not, I, I mean, I, I think he did great, great. Th- Actually, I think he did great things with the economy. I really did. I mean, my, I saw my 401k went up. My 401k and our Biden has just completely dropped the tank. Look so, at it. so at least in that aspect, the finances would, but, um, you know, I also didn't like, I just hated his, his, I just wish he would shut up. I just didn't like take, this. Take Twitter away. But I did remember that I, I did hear, and I was, I listen to a lot of talk radio when I'm driving uh, to my, I do speak some corporate speaking, public speaking. I usually drive there. I just, I not, no offense against you guys. I just don't <laughs> like flying, hate it. But, um, he did have, I remember hearing it and I, it was, it was a Trump had a plan. And I remember hearing it that he said, yeah, we're going to, it's going to have to be a limited withdrawal little by little by little. And that was out of his mouth. It was just a soundbite that I heard listening to some AM radio talk show. I don't remember who it was. I, I, I didn't do a lot of research on it. I, I just want to make sure that I, I put that out there, but from what I understood, and what he said is, is and what and it was from his mouth. It was a soundbite from him speaking at at, a, at one of a rally or something he was doing. He said we have to get out of Afghanistan. It's going to be a planned withdrawal. It may take up to six months to get us out of there, little by little. Military personnel first, ANA uh, or or anybody that was friendlies or or at allies, and then then civilians. And so that's out there in the internet he said it i mean i heard it yeah. on the radio I was, it was it wasn't like a, i read it on the it was so that plan was there and honestly it sounded like a pretty like a decent a good plan i mean that's what you do meticulous get them out little by little equipment get it out get it out not just hey we're leaving closing shop we're getting out of here tell them whatever you want take yeah. whatever you want all these night vision all that now here yeah take it give it to the chinese iranians it was so it was just so inept and then and then the righteous, what bothered me, the righteous kill when they did that ISR strike with no intel, no eyes on the ground, and they killed all the civilians. And that general, was it general? What, what the it, hell? Uh, McKenzie? Was he the... McKenzie, was it the other? I, I, one of the yeah. M's, I can't remember who. Might not be right. But he, he, uh, yeah, we had this righteous, it was a righteous kill. It, it, who would, I, I wouldn't say that. I, I, and I, I, I honestly despise terrorists, but you don't say that. that you're taking a, none of us have you're said taking a life. A righteous, yeah, you're taking, you're taking yeah. a life, which then what kind of scumbag says oh, it's a righteous kill? What are we on the movies? What is this predator and Arnold Schwarzenegger coming back? What are we, it was, it was disgusting. And it also get another verified how inept and terrible and just unprofessional our leadership is. And that was, you know, that was, that was the the ranking general of the uh, general of the army, or maybe it was sec def. I, I, I would have to re, we'd have to look at that again to see. I mean, research to see who said it. But um, it really disgusted me. But it also disgusted me that again how how far we've fallen, at least in the military circles, as far as leadership goes. And how did it get? Yeah, how did it get okayed starting at that level from the 04 to 05? Because it had to go through multiple checks. And how did it get there? And then it said, yeah, this sounds like a great plan. 
Um, I, a two-year-old yeah. could have thought it wasn't a good plan. A lieutenant. Yeah. This is not going to end well. Like that's, that's the basic thing. And yeah. if you hate, this is the plan. Like, can I say the enemy always gets a vote? That was a poor plan. If that's what you're going to go do with, uh, it wasn't going to survive first contact with enemy, but then reassess and, and do, and reassess. do something different because this is obviously yes. not working. And then fortune piece, I had my good buddy, Carl Miller on the podcast back in February. Okay. He is, um, going through, school he's up in dc right now but he spent two years with the afghans at two separate points flying with their air force and training them so i mean he okay. was he has very close relationships he was a squadron commander out there with a lot of senior level afghan air force guys and i mean no kidding he is moving across the country he kind of starts a whatsapp or a facebook group initially with these different advisors he'd worked with over the years and it's all, you know, all open source, essentially just trying to figure out who's who. And I mean, he's got stories okay. like working this guy from uh, up near Maji Sharif down to yep. get him out. And wow. Carl tells the story of this guy makes it to, I think, the North Gate. And the guy, the, the Afghan he's trying to get out, hands the phone to some Marine, young Marine, which, you know, I was like, the fact that Marine even took that phone and, and Carl I'm says, hey, Look, you you don't know me, you don't owe me anything, but this guy has been a great asset to our country. Yada yada yada. If you please get him through the gate, you know he's on the list to get wow. out and got him out. But the you know the problem with all of this, right, is undoubtedly we're going to have one. Well, Afghanistan should have been like what we do in other places, like very surgical that you don't hear about neither here nor there. Yeah. But nonetheless, we left so many people high and dry and burned bridges. Like who would ever? want to go work with you again trust us Why? because at some point I, 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 you're, we're not we're not going to be there we saw that with with the doc that helped us get bin laden what oh happened yeah to him? we left him yeah. high and dry I, I that that was brother that was a kind of a, a running uh, it was a it was a dark joke but it was a running joke in the grs community when we yeah. were there because we did that all the time and we were talking cars like who's going to trust us <laughs> nobody's going to want to work with us because they help us and we don't do shit for them. We don't help them out. We don't get them out. We don't give them anything. And it's like, we're basically just burning. Well, that's what we said. We're burning every bridge. It's, it's a joke. And it was almost laughable because that was going on behind the scenes when I was working GRS from 2006 to what, 2012. In 2013, I went to back to Yemen in 2013 after Ben But that was, that was what we did. That was the MO, man. So the whole world seeing it then, that had been going on for years, and I'm probably I bet I wouldn't bet if against that it still isn't 100%. going on with some of the assets. And it's just it's like that's why do you think we don't aren't trusted in the world? Why do you think as an American, yeah, don't trust that American? He'll leave you up high and dry. Well, because we do. Well, I mean, we well, do. The, I, at least at that right. Level, the unfortunate piece at the tactical level, you know, the one where you're the guy working with the interpreter, yeah. and embedded like you would do anything for that person. But yeah. as it moves up to the strategic level. And you're relying upon people at that level to open up doors and facilitate, you know, the promises. I move them and their family yeah. out that you you need them to sign the paper and do whatever. It doesn't happen. And so it doesn't that, happen. You know, you you burn well, you you burn bridges to say the least. And I equate it to I used to say this, you know, we're like a we're like a, a bad frat boy coming to somebody else's party at a house. We go and we party at this house all night and then we leave it the next morning and say yeah it's your mess you guys clean it up we're not going to help you 
mean, that's kind of how we how we were doing it since Afghanistan on. Every every place we've been going to. So obviously nobody trusts us. But I, I have my you know I I, I I I have the same kind of stuff. I've helped two guys get out. My two, two one I worked with in Kabul and the other one in Kandahar. I'm trying to still I should say the one in Kabul I managed to get out and I wrote him a letter and and I vouched for him. So he and he, this he 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 got on his this that, in his in his offense I should say or defense, whatever he want to call it. He got on it real quick. It was right in the beginning. And he says, I'm trying to get me and my girls out. I, and he worked with me at NDS. And I he, I wrote him a letter and sent it to him. And that he, he gave it to the right person. He got out and he's in the Netherlands nice. right now. The other one in Kandahar. And I'm trying to actually get him in the United States. There's a group that I'm working with in the United States. That's It's a, it's a private group, obviously, though. It's not the government. Yep. It's a private group full of contractors and pilots like, like us that actually come together and form an organization, a foundation to do that. So I'm working on that. Yeah, the one in Kandahar though, you know, I've got to also do my due diligence. You know, we've got to do that as well. I, okay, I know he, he did work with me. He looks a little different, but I, I, I finally, it took me a while to validate it. But, you know, he's still there. It's not it's not just a letter anymore. I can't just write him a letter and say, yeah, I worked with me here. Now I've, I've got to find a way to find someone like your buddy yep. that did, I, I can call and, and, um, it's not easy to do and it's sad man it hurts a lot of us because i became friends with a lot of those guys and they did they would they were there for me if i needed them and i and i was there for them and we just we just left them it's like me it would be like you leaving me or me honestly to me or me leaving you so so, and and the politicians they just do not gosh i just one time we could just drop them off and say okay here you're on your own figure it out and just leave them there for three or four days see what happens see it's a, not even for a year, not even for a month, not even for a week, three or four days. Oh. And, and they, I think their mindsets would change quite a bit, but until it affects them and gets into their bubble, nope. it's never going to change. Yeah. It's like they the thing in a it, bubble. Yeah. They, until you walk a mile in someone's yeah. shoes. And again, yeah. I, I said this in the, I don't know when this neck, the podcast recorded last night, I don't know what's going to release, but uh, again, everyone's worried about the nearest alligator to their boat. And they could care less about the alligator <laughs> that's, that's getting ready to chew up your boat, you know, and you. So it's it's easy. I like that. I'm an, I'm still yeah. I'm stealing that. Yeah, dude. Yeah, I've never yeah, heard that. Yeah, I'm gonna yeah, use that one. That's awesome. That's, I love that's, it. But you're you're spot on, brother. You're spot on. And sad. So hey, you know, I started this off. I was telling you, hey, I got a Patreon question. We never got to that. I'm gonna ask it here in a minute. But first, because I mean, this has been a great conversation. How did you get into contracting? What what was that kind of like transition? And obviously, you were at it for a long time and a lot yeah, of just yeah. I, I guess just lucky, I guess. Yeah, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm Patrick Swayze in Roadhouse. Uh, you, well, yeah, I, I, I was I you have a terrible travel agent first and foremost. Uh, yeah, for, <laughs> so that, you know, um, that whole story leading up to contract. I mean, that's a whole story within itself. In fact, the Ranger Way is pretty much that story even before I started contracting. But, um contracting what happened is is uh i had i had gotten kicked out of the military the first time i was in i should say kicked out but i i got discharged for something i shouldn't have done i was very blessed though i did get an honorable discharge that i didn't deserve but i had god was looking down on me and had a tremendous commander and a tremendous first sergeant that met from second range battalion um i had an re3 code which means that it was going to be as hard as hell just to try to re-enlist but i fought for two years did what i needed to do Got the psyche valves I needed to get. Get if that tells you anything about what I did. To get out. But um, and I went re-enlisted back into the military, and I did it all again, and uh, did you know, Tree Airborne Ranger twice, and uh, 
and everything was going great. And I became an auction, became an officer. So I, I, I went from being a humiliated dirt bag, getting RFS from Ranger Battalion to, uh, to getting my officer's commission. Cause I had a, I did, I, I reenlisted. I had a master's degree at the time, but I, I felt like I needed to reenlist again because I didn't really finish what I started the first time. Um, and I, I got sick. I, I didn't know I was sick. I was out on a training op in Fort Benning, Georgia, and it's hot and, you know, and sweaty and I, I, and I'm not feeling real good. Of course, I'm drinking a little too much because work hard, play hard. You know, that's just how it was. And, and, um, and I, I sharded, I sharded my pants. I, I did. I, I, I let one go and I sharded, but it, it felt weird. It just didn't feel right. And I remember for some reason I took my hand and I, went back and I brought it back out and it was sticky and I could tell there, I could tell there was blood and mucus there. Yeah. Um, and, uh, well, long story, I, you know, they rushed me to Martin army hospital and they found out I had a severe case of ulcerative colitis or they couldn't figure out if it was Crohn's disease or ulcerative colitis because okay. my whole lower intestines and my colon looked like road rash. And I was Dang. discharged from the military under medical. I, I have no complaints. I, I did. I was in bad shape. I had let my, I, I, you know, but you know the deal. It's like I, I, my stomach hurts. I'm tired. I'm fatigued. Push, oh, I must through. be a I must be a ranger then, right? I mean, yeah, <laughs> that's yeah. just how it is. And um, I just pushed through it too long, and it did some severe damage. And for the, the next year, I was on my death. Literally, I mean, I'd lost. Th- I looked like a ranger school graduate. I was lost thirty mm-hmm. pounds. I couldn't eat anything. And every day, I would just try to get get up and figure out what I could eat. But I would still work hard. And I remember just not giving up. And I would do a push up every day. And then I just got stronger and stronger. And then one, after a year, I got a phone call from Blackwater security. It was 2003. And, and then right after that, like 10 minutes later, I got a call from triple canopy security or triple canopy. And that time, you know, they, those organizations, I had a lot of respect for them now looking how they are now compared to then. Cause you had the Eric Prince at the Blackwater and I like Eric. I do. I, I know he's gone off the rails a little bit right now, but back in those days. And he loves, he loves military. He does. He, he loved his country. He took real good care of us. And then on the triple canopy side, you had Lee Van Arsdale, who was running that company. And, you know, he's a Delta legend that dude, and he, he ran triple canopy extremely well. Well, they, I got a call from him and Blackwater said, Hey, do you want to be a contractor in Iraq? And I just said, I, I don't build houses guys. I don't know what the hell, you know, you got the wrong guy because <laughs> I didn't know what a contractor was. Yeah. It wasn't a thing. They said, no, no, yeah, it wasn't. I, it was like the Bremer detail was just starting to get going. That was from the Blackwater guys. Triple Canopy was supplementing. DynCorp had been doing stuff for years, but that was always police training. And I didn't know nothing about DynCorp. And that was in Kosovo. And that was, I didn't really care about <laughs> Kosovo yeah. going there. So I never paid attention. But I, I, I they said, no, 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 no. We, we, we got your name from a fellow ranger. They said, do you know this guy right here? And I said, yeah, I served with them. And he had given them my name. And with my ranger background and then I was with 19 special forces group for a little while. I had the six year special ops that they were requiring to be a contractor at that time. And, uh, they said, Hey, do you, well, we want you to go to Iraq and be a military contractor and do this, this, and this. And I said, Oh, that, that sounds awesome. And then they said, and we're going to pay you this much money. And it was like a cartoon where my eyes went from, yeah, right. Like, yeah, my, what? Like, like what? Because we were getting—I'm gonna lie—we were getting paid a lot. Of, I mean, it's it's a lot of money till that ID or that VBID goes off. Then yep. it's not enough. But it yep, was. We were getting paid, and for me, I was out of work. You know, I'm living off a medical retirement. I'm sick as a dog. I'm not working anywhere because I can't even. I can't even go at 30 minutes without shitting myself. I can't eat anything, and um, it was like, oh my gosh, this is a godsend. 
It's like, my, this is awesome. And of course, uh, Blackwater called me first. So I told Blackwater, yes, instead of Triple Canopy. It had nothing to do. I thought they were both tremendous organizations. Um, I, but I do remember I, I, I went to my wife and I said, hey, don't divorce me, but I'm going to go to North Carolina um, tomorrow. I'm going to start training for three weeks and I'm going to Iraq. And <laughs> she's like, okay, all right. And, uh, and I was off and running, man. I mean, it, it was it. And so really, I didn't pick contracting. It kind of found me. I, 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 and I, that's why I have a strong, even though I have a potty mouth from hell, um, I am a very devout Christian. I believe in God. I believe in faith. And I believe the paths are there. And I do because of things that have happened to be bad and good things that I knew that they were meant to happen. And that was something else. I, it just was, it was, it just out of the blue. I, and the next 10, 11 years, I was contracting, not just with Blackwater. I was contracting with different agencies, uh, private organizations doing anti-kidnapping stuff in South America. Like I said, I got to fight pirates off the coast of Somalia, <laughs> which was kind of yeah. cool. Um, and, uh, and then, but in the middle of all that, it was always GRS was the staple. I did some state department at the beginning because GRS didn't exist at the time. Um, so that was the Bremer details. That was the state department, CPA contracts. That was like the Blackwater heyday of, and then when that started to get bigger and the requirements for, to make those contracts started to be from six years, special ops to three years to one year to six years infantry to, did you drive down buy up one time? All right. Yeah, you're good. Come on. That's when a lot of us started to bounce to the, 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 the special contracts, the OGA contracts. And, and I did, and I went there and, and did my, uh, did my GRS stuff. And, but in those, between those GRS trips, I would do private stuff. I would go to, I go to Dubai and do some executive protection, or I go to Qatar and, I remember protecting Rob Lowe in Qatar, you know, going to the Doha Film Festival and yeah. and and just making sure Rob Lowe got to work. But and then doing the anti-piracy work or or doing some executive protection in the states or we're going to the who was the anti-piracy so work? Who? It was, I went. I was Sorry, through who? Nexus at the time. Nexus was the group. Okay. We're, we were working with Pacific Gulf Marine in Maersk, and it was Nexus, and then Trident yeah. uh, Trident's group came on after. Nexus was the first one. We were the first seven. I, I'm proud to say that because it was, it was Captain Phillips got attacked and then I was on a ship the next week. And uh, it was awesome until I got caught in one squall. And then I was like, nope, I, there's a reason I didn't join the Navy. Nope, nope, nope. nope. I, we, yeah, we, hard got, pass. we stopped in Durban. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, I did it for like, about six, seven months. And then I was like, Durban, like, guys, I'm sorry. I'm this. That's my last trip. I would rather get shot at than fight 30 foot swells in this little ass boat anymore that has a top speed of 16, 16 nah. knots. Nope. Nah, nah, it's, I'm done. But um, yeah, Rats team, they came on later and, and they were the competitor with Nexus. So Nexus and Trident had the two, really the two big contracts. And then the Israelis had their own security. But that, that was a, it was a really cool experience, but it also was kind of heartbreaking because uh, on those shipping lanes are like highways. So when a ship's attacked, you can hear it on the radio because all those captains, they do try to help each other out. So we'd hear a ship getting attacked and it, normally the, the pirates were smart. They didn't want to die. So if it was American flagship or an Israeli flagship, they usually knew there was going to be security. And usually we were outside, you could see us. So they normally would just divvy off and attack the Filipino ship or the Korean ship or the German ship. And they would be calling for help. And it's hard when that's your job is to protect people and you've been doing it for years that to hear that on the radio and the captain saying, no, 
because they can't, they're not going to lose millions of dollars worth of cargo turning a ship around so you can go help them. And yeah. You just have to, you just have to hear the cries on the radio and just hope that whatever military assets in the area gets to them quick enough. But it, it, it was kind of heartbreaking. And I remember when that would happen, I would just walk out of the, walk out of the captain's area and I'd walk out to the side. So I just couldn't hear it. But, um, but, but the experience itself was, was really, it, it was cool. It, I'm not gonna say it was and being on the sea and I always would pick the ships either in the morning or at night. So I could see the sun come up or, and then it go down. And when the water was flat, especially in the red sea or, uh, or on the parts of the Indian ocean, it was beautiful, man. It was just gorgeous. Awesome. It's funny. Yeah, I was actually, I just flew down the coast of uh, Eastern Africa on, you know, my other job. Oh, no. and, but you, you look at, I got a sunrise, which I mean, it, yeah, it was like pristine, just most, yeah, I mean, most scenic and beautiful thing you ever see. But then you're like, it well, is. there's Mogadishu right off the corner. Too bad. Maybe, it's too bad. Yeah. Yeah. It looks beautiful until you get really close to it. That's, that's so cool that you're still flying there. I, I do. I, Durban and Cape town. I thought were, were gorgeous. At least parts of it. Durban's pretty daring, dangerous. Some of the places in town, but, um, but you're right, man. It's, it's go, especially in a float when you go in there and you're going into dock, especially in Durban. when you see it until you were getting the city and you kind of see the shittiers, it, it, it does look beautiful. It, 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 it is a beautiful sight to see, especially when you're getting out of rough waters and you come in that calmness and you're just like, man, wow, this is all right. This is cool. All right. But man, I can't I, imagine I, flying there. Well, it's better just to look at it from 30,000 feet than, uh, you know, down, down there <laughs> off foot, off the ground, not where you want to be in life. It just sounds based upon some of the stories I've heard you say is like, Matt, but you know what? Uh, I think I'm good, but it goes back to, yeah, I spent a little time in the Horn of Africa. Um, I mean, probably about the same time you were there doing, just sitting, you know, alert for uh, some guys who yeah. are doing things. And yeah. it, it gives you a true appreciation for how good we, we really have it. Sure there does. are a lot of things that this country could do better that the, what, you know, what, whatever your argument might be, but we got it pretty good. Like, yeah, I'm not worried we about someone it. kicking my door down, dragging me out in the street and murdering me, nor am I really worried about running water or electricity. Uh, you know, or, these like, are, or, or getting dysentery brushing my teeth. Cause I forgot yeah. to use bottle. I mean, how much of a pain in the ass that got to be just having to remember to always have enough bottled water and then coming off an op and you want to brush your teeth and it's late and you forgot to go stock your bottle of water. So you got to go run out. I mean, just the normal shit that, that we take for granted here that unless you've done it, you don't realize how, how kind of a pain in the ass it comes to be. And you're like, Oh, you're complaining. But that's, that's why we have it so good is because I can't complain about not having to you are not of using bottled water to brush my teeth so I don't get sick as a dog because I don't have to do that back home. How lucky you think we have it here? That's how lucky we have it, man. Can uh, you imagine if people had to do that every day in no, their lives? They would lose their minds. Yeah, there's some places I go that I won't eat fruits and vegetables because, you know, when they wash them, like even though they wash, wash them, like there's still stuff in the water. Yeah. And you're like, mm, no, nah, like I don't feel like having my insides on the outside. So I'll oh. skip it. And that's again, you know, like not saying it doesn't happen here. Right. But predominantly sure. you're, you're pretty good going to the grocery store and be able to buy something that you want. Yeah. And you have 10 different options of that thing you want, you know, so you can pick your brand and go. So like, we got it. We got it pretty good. I, I, I want to jump to this real quick. Whoa, actually. So first, 
this is what I should have done way back when, but you're wearing the Battleline oh, podcast fault. I started shirt. talking. It's, it's my it's, fault. It's dude. perfect. Sorry. The intro is going to have it. So all those who've gotten this far into the podcast, there are going to have heard it. But when I was on your podcast, on the Battleline podcast yeah. last week, you asked me about Top Gun. Have you seen Top Gun yet? I still haven't seen Top Gun yet. Yeah. I haven't got a chance yet. I know. I will. We will. We, it's just, we've... We've uh, we've had some traveling with the family going on, so it just yeah. hasn't been the priority to get. But it's it's I, in my defense, everything that has been going on has been family related that we just haven't yeah, had a good. chance. And I, you know, my six year old doesn't want to go see it, so <laughs> so it, we, we got to figure out when Top Gun and Jurassic Park or maybe Buzz yeah. is at the movie <laughs> at the same time. Then I can go. Right. So, but I know I, I definitely want to because I've heard nothing but outstanding things about Top Gun. I yeah. I've heard nothing but great things. We took my seven-year-old to it. We're like, hey, man, this is this is a big deal. You know, there's gonna be some there's gonna be some bad language in it. So you know, you're gonna hear it. That's life. You're gonna hear it. You know, but we don't want to hear it out of you. Uh, but we're like leaving the movie theater, and his thing is like, I can't wait to be a fighter pilot because I can use bad words. That was his like that was his takeaway. He wants to get shot at in a fighter jet so he can be defensive and he can use bad language. And I'm like. Well, of all the things to take away from the movie, I'm glad you took away that. So, all right, bud. <laughs> that's awesome, though. See, that's 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 a that's a great American kid right there. That's America, right? right America, that's damn America. It's, it's funny what they latch onto, but he was just like, yes, you know, like I'm like, hey, he's getting shot at by you know, like SA whatevers are on the hilltop. This is not where you want to be in life, but uh, you know, hey, go for it. Maybe. I, I'm see if my my six year old he just I can't talk him into seeing it but we we will and we're, me and Mama maybe should have a date night we'll go we'll yeah. go see it I, but I it, it always happens that way too I always want to go see a movie and then just stuff just starts popping in and or family stuff starts coming up and by the time I, let's go I can ah shit it's outside it's it's out of the theater okay and living in in Fort Scott Kansas where we're at. It's not like it's easy to go down to find another movie yeah, theater. Yeah, <laughs> so. Would it be? I mean, to be honest, like I don't think I'm trying to think of the, like the last movie. Yeah, you know, if you even you exclude the whole COVID deal, like the last time we went to see a movie in the theaters, like it'd been a while. Like we just don't go. You like I just wait for it to come out on TV. And a lot of them now exactly. you can, like get them within same time yeah. or like a week later. Like why wouldn't I just do that? And I don't have to mess with people in dirty movie theaters. But Top Gun, I will say. <laughs> is worth it. And I've heard a lot of people go back, you know, they've gone back two or three times, which is kind of cool. Cause I think they did a really, they did a really good job. We could talk tactics here and there, but um, I wanted well, to I jump to this. You, Sorry, go ahead. You're going to have a little bit on that. You're on the tack. No, you're, yeah. you're going to have a little bit on any movie, any military movie, even ours, that, that there's going to be some tactics that you just, I mean, it, it just happens. You, you try to get it right, but you're, you've got actors doing it and you got CGI. So, and I wouldn't know stuff you'd see. I had no idea. I mean, unless you told I mean, me, eh, that's kind of outlandish. I would have no clue. Palm up, palm down. I wouldn't catch it, you know, but it's See? devil's in the details, but yep, yep. it's one of those yep. things. You got to give them some, you know, they have to have some liberty to spice it up a little bit and, you know, yeah, yeah, storytelling. I want to jump into this. This is, uh, okay. this is, this is how far we've gotten, but it jumps back into Benghazi. So if those have seen 13 hours um, sure. and I've heard you say this in another podcast, so I know, I know it's true. The attire you're wearing on that night um, but yeah. I, I had a Patreon supporter who asked, uh, he jumped into late into the fight here, but he goes, I absolutely love the idea of you running around Benghazi in the streets and your Mickey Mouse t-shirt and shorts <laughs> with your trusty AR. His question was, if you could have had any other piece of gear or ammo that you could have had that night, what would it have been? My, um, my 203. I, I wish I had a GLM actually mounted on my M4. So I, you know, and I had, I had a 40, I, I mean, I had plenty of gear. I had a Mark yeah. 46 here. <laughs> 
and I had a, a, a nutsack on it, you know, a starter, a starter drum on it, which we call the nutsack has like a hundred rounds. And, and then I had another 200 round drum around here like this and, but it started to come out. So it was kind of rap Rambo style with the links, but I, I just, because it wasn't staying on in the bandolier very well. Um, it wasn't cause I was trying to look cool. It was just, it was the only way I was just trying to get it. And then at the M4 on this side, I had a, what we call the GLM, a grenade launching mechanism that you can attach via Picatinny rail. It was to the bottom of my, I had a HK416 was my, was my, uh, was my M4. Uh, and, um, uh, I don't know why I did, but for some reason I had taken it off, uh, before, I think it's because I already, I, I think somebody made fun of me because my gun looked like the dang Deadpool, you know, yeah. <laughs> cable. I was just huge. I mean, it's M4. I got all these, got an EOTech. I got an app peel. I got everything. I have a foreign grip. And then I put a little GLM under the bottom of it. Um, I took it off because, and, and honestly, it wasn't staying on that well anyway. Um, whenever I'd shoot a test run, it would sometimes, it come loose. So I was like, ah, screw it. I don't need this. I took it off. But I, I, and I, would, I couldn't find it when we got back to the annex. I wish I'd had it. Tig had our first one and I'm glad he had that one. He had an HK, an HK, uh, HK 69 is what they're called. They're the, they're the, the standalone, um, bridge, bridge fed, um, uh, 203s. But, uh, he had dropped it that the movie spot on he dropped it when we were leaving he had it fell off he, he was on a yeah. he hadn't tied it off very well so when he ran it fell off so when we got back to the annex um when they were moving on us i mean i had a 416 but man i i just i was like man, this is too easy i just need a 203 and just lob some rounds in there i'm gonna because they were all clustered together and i remember I, I was like tig where's your 69 he goes man i dropped it i knew i had a glm somewhere i'm calling on the red guys i need my other grenade where's it at where's it at I, I, I didn't show that in the movie, but, but before that first attack, I had climbed down the ladder and I checked every vehicle. I checked our main building, building C, that's the building that got hit and all our gear was. I looked in there, I was yelling at the, uh, the SPOs, the special police officers, the two CI security guys that were watching the cameras. It's like, have you guys seen them? I mean, and I couldn't find it. And Boone's like, dude, he goes, screw it. You need to get back up here. They're moving. And I just... I, I still have to this day have no idea where it went. It was it was sitting in my locker because I had commandeered that thing. It wasn't in my gear locker. I, I don't know where it went. And the other one we had again, like I said, Tick dropped it. But man, I think that I wish I would have had that two hundred three. I'm glad I had the forty six. I'm glad we had plenty of rounds for our four sixteens. But and you know, and Boone had a uh, Boone had our gosh, I can't remember what it, what he had. I know what it is. It, it it was a sniper rifle, and I know what it is. And I, SR-25. Okay. He had that up there. And, um, man, but that 203, especially when they, that first, that, that gelatina bomb came over the back gate and it blew up, it would have just been easy just to foom, foom, foom. I mean, three rounds and it would have just took them. I mean, they, it would have just killed the whole, that whole mod podge of people uh, of, of the Ansar Sharia and Al-Qaeda coming through that area. But, yeah, I, that is the one thing I wish it would have had. And hindsight's twenty twenty. When I went to Yemen, I made sure that I had a 203 either in my locker or I mounted it and I just, I, I, I locked-tighted that son of a bitch on my 416. So I had it. I know you said it was, it was pretty accurate and spot on. I'm in my mind, I'm, yeah. I'm looking, you know, you guys on the rooftop and the movie depicts it's the meat processing plant. Yeah, it, it's a sheep. It's a sheep slaughterhouse. So it, yeah, but the sheep. And to my mind, it kind of looked like a Quonset hut, you know, or like a greenhouse. It, it that was. All the, you know, the plastic been torn off, but that's that was a sheep slaughterhouse. It, 
it actually it, it, it reminded me of what those sheet metal kind of when you come to the Midwest and you see, or even even if you're in DC and you go up to the northern part of, of Virginia, the, the 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 not really the Kwanzaa the, the the sheet metal bars that you kind of see. That's really what it was. So okay. it was a big sheet metal. You can call it a Kwanzaa. Out here, it's a barn. The, the, the fabricated ones you can put up like that. Yeah. You, know, you got a concrete slab, and then you just. And it was huge. I mean, it was it, it was extended at least seventy five meters shotgun ways, and it was about forty meters wide. And then they just had holding pens right there, so the sheep would go around it. I mean, that honestly it looked pretty dang accurate. Really, what it really. Um, but yeah, it was right behind our place, man. And that's why that prison gym we had outside always flies on it and it just sucked it always stunk especially in the heat God, yeah. but yeah that the sheep were there and i do remember remember because he tick was calling us on the radio that night and it, you know and, and uh he did say this to the to the camera guy i mean the the spo watching the move watching the video cameras because the, the sheep kept humping each other and he's like man i think these sheep are humping each other and i like and Somebody came across the radio. I may have been Oz and, and said, or maybe been even been Boone said, "Hey, make sure nobody's sneaking underneath them." And so that was going on that night. The sheep kept humping each other, and we thought maybe somebody was trying to move their way in, but we didn't know nothing about sheep. So <laughs> I, I still, I still think it was the sheep were just getting frisky, and they were. They were outside in their pans, and they were, you know, because of all the gunfire and stuff that is happening, Damn. they're freaking out. And honestly, I think they were just trying to find space for each other, but it looked like they kept were trying to hump each other. It was kind of funny. Yeah, it was because I remember, I, I do remember that. I think that comment or that statement got made and made it to the movie. And then- Yeah, Tick said that to, to the camera guy. He goes, man, I don't know nothing about yeah. sheep. because it looks like they're humping. Yeah. And <laughs> me and Tick talked about that the next day in Germany when we flew out. And it, we laughed about it. We went to Chili's at the Air Force Base in Stuttgart and we're, we're getting lit. And uh, yeah, it was something we laughed about. I go, did you really say, you know, what you, what'd you see in the sheep? It's a sheep. And we had the conversation. He says, yeah, I was talking to the, I forget the Spoh's name. He says, I said, what that conversation go like? And he told me about the whole thing is, yeah, because I just told him I don't know nothing about sheep and maybe they were humping or not, but they, they were trying to see it on the cameras because we, we were just, we weren't sure, you know, it's just at that point in time, we weren't letting anything pass by us. I mean, it was kind of ludicrous to think they would sneak under the sheep, but you know, never say never. So yeah, absolutely. Keeping an eye on it. Yeah. How, but it was, it was still funny. It was funny. So within 24 hours, you're at a Chili's in Stuttgart, Germany. <laughs> how, I mean, how, like, how, what is your, what's going on in your mind? And I know like, I mean, I have a guess as yeah. to how that, that, was this, that process went, but, uh, uh you know, I, and maybe, maybe it was, I can't, it was a Stuttgart or Ramstein. It was, what's the big air base there? R- Ramstein would be the, the big one. Obviously the, was, it's the big yeah. one. It, it was Ramstein. It was Ramstein. Um, and actually, I, well, I, I remember, you know, I, when we got back and it started before then, when we got back to Tripoli, we got on that C-130 and, that, and it was a Libyan C-130. And I, I remember seeing, I still remember it coming in. I remember looking at it and going, man, Americans finally. And then looking at the tail boom, cause all us, all us ground pounders, we're seeing who, where the, yeah. what the plane belongs. I'm expecting to see the stars and stripes on there. And I see that red, green, and black flag. It was a Libyan. No kidding. Transport to C-130. And I'm like, man. And I, I mean, I just, I, it wasn't a, at that point, it wasn't a sense of being pissed because we'd already been left behind. I mean, they were, you know, and I was like, man, finally, at least Americans are coming to at least get us. And it was, I just went still no fucking Americans in my head. That's what I said. I, they verbally said it in the movie, but that's what I said in my head. And I put my head down. 
But I remember going and talking to pilots. They flew us out. And that was a story within itself because the plane didn't show up for us. It just showed up. We got lucky. Where did they, they take you? Uh, Tripoli. We okay. went to Tripoli first. Um, we loaded, of course, Roan and we loaded the ambassador and we loaded Bub on there. And that was that was an experience in itself just because rigor mortis had sit in with Roan and Bub. And it, it was it was odd because we're sitting with the two Delta guys that came in. Our team is there. The other GRS guys that came in with Bub are there. And we don't have body bags. And I remember a, a t- uh, we had putting sheets over the top of, I mean, we had a body bag for the ambassador. We managed, we didn't have one for Ron or Bub or Sean, so we had sheets over them. But one sheet looked like a pitch tent because Bub's arm had, rigor mortis had sit in the way we had him and his arm was up like this. So Damn. it was like the elephant in the room. I'm just looking at it. I'm looking at the guys. I'm like, does nobody, does this not bother anybody? Yeah. Because <laughs> it was really bothering me. And I remember, I even said it out loud. I said, fuck it. And I got up and I remember I, that, <laughs> I remember that that was hard because I, I I basically broke his arm because I couldn't stand seeing like and I just remember it's pop 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 and um and uh but we you know I got him on because I, I didn't want to fly an hour looking with that and but we got to and, and it's still though I mean it didn't affect me like it does now it just was like kind of like a fuck okay fine so what else it's like something else yeah and. But it was out of respect too. I said I didn't want Bub to look. Somehow I want people to remember. I don't want to remember him like that. And uh, I don't know if it's selfish or selfish, but it's what I thought. And I, I meant it. And that was that was hard. That was hard to do. It was really. But I did it. And then we got to Tripoli. Um, I had no clothes. I was the one guy that didn't manage to get downstairs to get any of his shit. <laughs> so I didn't have nothing. Um, but I got borrowed some clothes from other GRS guys. Um, there's a picture of me sitting on the porch. I remember somebody took a picture of it. I posted it every once in a while on 9-11. I had an overgrown New York Yankees hat, so it looks too big on my head. I had somebody's wife beater t-shirt on. I had these, these. I don't know if they were 5-11s or Vertex, but they were way too tight. So, I mean, they're like, <laughs> I just, it just, I mean, it just looked like I was wearing spandex. And I had a, I had a dip in my mouth. Cause I was like, man, I'm, I'm really fiending. I need a Copenhagen and I dip in my mouth. But I remember just sitting there on that porch. I tried to smile. You can see I'm kind of half smiling cause I'm still not, I'm still kind of out of it. I'm tired. And uh, I just remember get some food and, and then, uh, and then, um, <clears throat> and then I heard, yeah, hey, uh, Eric Stahl's coming in with their C-17. He's coming in with the J-Mount bird, the medical bird. Cause Oz and Tig or um, Oz and Dave Ubin are really bad off. Their arms had almost been sheared off. I mean, our, and T- and Dave Ubin's leg was almost sheared off. He's they're bleeding out. Um, and uh, I remember that we went down there, and I, that crew chief there, the loadmaster there on that C seventeen was she was awesome. She was so cool. I mean, we went up there and we're like, hey, uh, they had already prepared the coffins. They already had the flags on them already. I mean, I, I, I thought was amazing. And we went up to her and we're like, we know that it's against your rules, but we'd like to load these coffins on ourselves. Can we do that? And there was no argument. So it was like, yes, you go ahead. It was really awesome. Um, <clears throat> so we did that. We loaded them on and uh, we had the J-Mouse. So we had surgeons on the bird. We got Oz and Dave on there and uh, they took care of them. And we flew to Germany and as we got to Germany, I, I wouldn't let my M4 go and I wouldn't give up my bullets. I, I wasn't, it was some guys, some other guys had downloaded their stuff. I wasn't, I, I didn't do it. I was like, no, 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 no. So I, I did what I needed to do in the airplane. Like you do when you, when you clear, you know, you, you, you have a, you have a, you're not with a hot gun on the C-17, but I kept my magazines 
and we got there, General Ham came on the bus and he said, I don't even remember what he said, to be honest with you. At that point, I couldn't even cared who the hell. I, right. And, and uh, I I just remember going up to him and I'm thinking, man, okay, I'm, I'm in the air base now. I need an amnesty box. I got to get rid of this ammo and I got to let him know, you know, I've got my M4 with me. And, and he was cool. I said, hey, sir, I've got, I wasn't going to let go of my stuff, but I have ammo I need to get rid of. Cause I knew I felt, I finally felt safe. Yeah. We got there. I'm like, okay, I'm safe. I'm, I'm good. And he's like, yeah, there's an amnesty box there. And I tell you what though, the USO was there. They were awesome. They were free. If there's any military group and even people have had bad, bad experiences with them. I did. They had, they had stations set up for us. I had no gear and I, and the lady came up to me after I went to the amnesty box and gave my ammo away. And I still kept my M4 with me, but it was downloaded. She goes, what'd you lose? And I said, I lost everything, man. And she's like, okay, write it down. And we're going to send some of the PX and get all. And I did, I wrote everything down. I gave it to her and they had place where I had sweats. I could get a bag. You could get some underwear, some socks and, you know, toiletries and a little food. And I remember, um, I did all that, got all my stuff was kind of feeling good, you know, a little bit like, okay, somebody actually gives a shit. And I went to the hotel. I went to the, the barracks at the air force, which was a freaking, come on. It's the air force barrack. It's a hotel. I'm in a hotel. Right. And, um, I remember, you know, that's when, that's when Tig and I were like, uh, you know, it, it was, Hey man, it's, I wonder if Chili's is still open. Let's go, let's go check it out. And we went down there and Tig and I just got drunk and I, I just started out. He asked him, cause if you watch the movie, we we're, I mean, even everything that was going on, we weren't together. We were away from each other a lot. I mean, I was next to Boone a lot, but I wasn't, wasn't around Tig a whole bunch. I wasn't around Oz or Jack until we got back to the annex. So it was really, it was a Q and a with him joke, him and I joking but asking, Hey man, what happened here? When I was here, where were you at? When you were here and it was, so it was, it's kind of doing an Intel collection while we're drinking Jack Daniels whiskey yeah. and laughing at the stuff that you probably, that a normal person would think is offensive. Yeah. Dark humor to like, be able to cope yeah. with it. I mean, I, I think that's yeah, a, that's a yeah, fair that, thing. That's well, that's what it was. I, I, I remember laughing cause I remember, uh, the scene in the movie, I remember talking and we talked about Dave. I said, yeah, was that you that went up to the built, went up on the rooftop when the mortars hit? He goes, yeah, I was up there. I go, what'd you see? Cause I didn't see anything. I just saw the mortars. I saw the mortars hit them. I was shooting over their head when the mortars hit. And as my night vision came back, all I saw was pixie dust. I didn't see nothing. I just saw the debris. I basically looked like those four Roan, Dave, Oz and, and a bub had got turned to dust. So I asked Tig, I said, did you see? He said, yeah, I got up there. I go, what'd you see? And he started laughing. He goes, well, I went up to Dave and Dave had his pistol out and he was bleeding everywhere. And I was worried Dave was going to shoot somebody. So I took Dave's pistol and Dave started screaming at me saying, hey, I need my pistol. I need my pistol. I need my, because Dave thought he was going to get hit again. Dave, you know, Dave's just been rocked. Yeah. His arms and legs are about sheared off. And we we found that, I don't know why, but we found that so hilarious. It was just, we were just laughing. I mean, it was because we were drinking a lot. I, and I said, well, what'd you do? He says, well, I said, he goes, well, I gave it back to him. Of course, he's <laughs> right. sitting there yelling the whole time. He goes, but he says, but I had, but he says, I also dropped the magazine and took one out of the chamber because he goes, I was worried he was going to panic when I came back and he was going to shoot me. Yeah. And I, you know, I'm saying it matter of factly now, but when we're drinking, we're, it's funny. We're yeah, laughing yeah. and it, it was, and it's stuff like that. Where, and that was another, <laughs> I'm laughing because this was funny. He said, then I went to Oz and Oz had had his arm, it was, it was damn near amputated. Oz had been trying to get his tourniquet on. He said, I go, what'd you see? He goes, well, I saw Oz. And all I saw Oz was doing this with his arm thing. And 
man, look at my arm, look at my arm. And Tick's, Tick's like, I was, I said, well, what'd you do? He goes, I was yelling at him. He goes, I was getting so pissed. Cause like, he's like, I, I was afraid he was going to twist his arm off. Oh my God. <laughs> he was gonna pop, pop. Yeah. And I mean, I, I literally, I did. I literally fell out of my chair. I, I don't know if it was the way he said it. I don't know what, but I fell in my chair laughing. Cause it was, to me, it was just, I could imagine Tig going up there, just being the country boy redneck, getting up there, just being pissed off and seeing, you know, Oz and I don't get along, but I respect his, he's a tough son of a bitch. I do respect his toughness. And I could see Oz playing with his arm, being so discombobulated going, man, this is freaking cool. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, but you know, that's the, that's the things that Chili's there. And it, it was, it was, it was, it was, and, and we were loud and I knew everybody could hear us. And I'm probably, we were probably freaking some of the airmen out in there. You know, um, these two civilians talking about, and you know, really, they had no idea what was going on. Yeah. They had no idea. Yeah, completely. Had happened. Yeah. yeah, I mean, I mean, the news had started to put stuff out, but it really wasn't big story, at least there yet. Maybe back in the states, it was. Thanks, twenty four seven news cycle. <laughs> but, right. uh, but um, yeah, it, it was it was a complete it, it it was complete decompression, drinking, laughing instead of going back to your room and crying, you know? Yeah. That's what it was. And I, 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 I had a, I remember that. And then when I got back to my room, it was like 2 a.m., 3 a.m. And there's a knock on the door and that USO lady, they had already let him in the PX and she had, Hey, here's your stuff. And it, 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 it did feel good. You know, it felt like, again, it felt like, uh, someone, someone cared. Yeah. Someone gave a shit. Yeah, so I that's why I, I always tell people, you know, who do you give? To, I give the USO. I've had bad ideas. Well, the USO took good care of me. So, um, and, and I have much respect for those people. That's why whenever I'm at the airport and I see, I'll stop in. I always put money in the box because they, they really made me feel good when I was feeling like, son of a bitch. These, the worst, these, these motherfuckers left us behind. And I didn't feel like that anymore. What happened when you got home? What was the process as far as debriefing? Was there any debrief? Like, yeah, yeah, we always debriefed. We always did. Um, uh, we always would come back for a couple of days. We'd hand in our black or our dip passports, um, and we kind of okay. We do a debrief. What'd you see? What? And most time it was just pretty mundane. Yeah. The same stuff happened, um, and then we'd we'd. Uh, but this one, we came back. Uh, well, they actually sent a, a GRS guy out to us, um, and. Uh, Greg actually he was a, he was a solid GRS staffer. He was a, he was a uh, he was enlisted. He was a I think he was a ranger before. So and he was a contractor before he became a staffer. But he came out, and we he debriefed us there. We told him what happened, and then we went back to we went back to DC and we went back to you know uh, George Bush the HQ, and uh, you know, we walk in there and and they sat us down and they had our GRS support people our all our GRS leadership in there, and. They just say, hey, what happened? And we would, we actually went up to the mapping room and we showed them on the schematics. This is where I was. This is where he was. And we, actually, we I mean, we did the whole, the whole rigmarole, the whole AAR. Yeah. And so we, they, uh, we could show where everybody was at this point in time and our movements and who called what, who said this and who said that. And then we, when we went down to the meeting room, it was a full on, okay, guys, what happened? And uh, <laughs> I remember we just all had our input. This is what happened. This is, and then, Hey, what are your recommendations? My one recommendation was, Hey, we need to have, everybody needs to have their own set of different gear, just like we do within the Rangers and the seals. So when an op comes and I need an SR 25, mine's right there. 
when op comes and I need a 203, I have mine right, you know, so we all have these different loadouts like, like SOCOM does. I said, we need that. I said, Ground Branch has that. I know we're not SAD, but we probably need that. Obviously it fell in deaf ears because I still don't think they're doing that for them. But it was more of, this is what we need for if this ever happens again. And then I remember they asked me, well, what'd you think, you, how'd your TL do? How I can't say his name or his call sign because I think he's still working. Um, we didn't portray him in the movie for that particular reason is because he was worthless. <laughs> we wrote about him in the book. Actually, the, the movie, Bob and our team leader, our staff guy is uh, an amount, how, how do you say that? They're, they're, a, they're a combined person. Well, they're one <laughs> there's the a word yeah, for, they're just some, they're one, yeah. We put traits of both of them in there. The book, we have both of them. But I remember they asked me, they said, well, how, how'd he do? And I said, he did great. And Boone says, yeah, he did great because he stayed out of the way. Like yeah, because he didn't do anything. What's 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 the TO stand for in that world? Uh, oh, the TL, the team leader. The oh, team TL. Leader. Okay, he was, TL, our, yeah, he yeah. was our team leader. He was our, now uh, in the movie. You know, you'll see the movie. Roan was our team leader. Actually, Roan was our assistant team. Okay, leader. fair enough. A, a staffer has to be your actual TL. The reason we didn't have that is because Roan really was our team leader. I mean, we listened to him. He was the guy we went to, and um, and our TL really didn't do anything. <laughs> Yeah, in my opinion. But that being said, we did have him. He's in the book and we wrote about him. So it's not like we left him out. And in the movie, they I found that they do that. Uh, we There's characters that are combined. Our interpreter is two different interpreters. Okay. We had one. So, but, um, but yeah, we got back and, and then I went home um, and I took my normal leave. And then I, I, I really, I, it was hard to go back out. I didn't really want to because and I was like, holy shit, they are going to leave us behind. But I just kept, my grandfather, you know, he always would taught me that you don't ever quit. You don't give up. You know, going gets hard. Keep pushing through. Keep grinding. Um, get back up on that horse and keep riding. And I, I remember uh, I said, yeah, I'm ready to go. And they said, well, Yemen's Yemen's going crazy right now. We need you to go to Sanaa. And I got on a plane. And that was the first time any of my kids cried when I left. It, it was hard. My daughter missed bracelets. But yeah, I remember went to the airport. And uh, yeah, she, she actually, she was, how old was she at that time? Um, she's 13 now. That was, yeah, she was like three, three or four. And she said that she started crying. And I was like, what's, what's wrong, darling? I'm just going to work. It was just daddy's always going to work. You know, yeah. it never, was, I'm just going to work. She goes, I don't want you to go fight bad guys anymore. <laughs> and I, I, I lost it a little bit and I held it together. So she didn't panic. And my wife looked at me and I, I gave him a hug and I, I, I didn't hurry, but I moved efficiently and I said, I love you. I got to go. Cause I almost didn't, I was like, fuck it. I'm not, you know, I almost was like, I'm not yeah. going. And like, nope, no, no. And I was hard. But then I went out to Yemen and actually I was part of that whole quagmire where we cut and run there as well. If, if people don't remember that, that was, that wasn't a Benghazi, but we cut and run out of there when we just messed that place up and turned what, it into a. When were you there? That was 2013. Okay. So it was two, 2013 when uh, when we just left. And, you know, I, remember, I don't remember that when the Marines were throwing their bolts out and everybody's just driving to the airport and getting the hell out of there. And then we left everything behind there. I mean, literally, that was a precursor for Afghanistan on a smaller scale. Um, yeah. And uh, but I do remember working Sanaa and I remember that I, I remember getting back in the saddle. It took me a couple of weeks where I didn't want to do anything. I was just still kind of. eh. And then uh, I started to get back out and do my job again. And I remembered how I had fun and it, it helped me. 
it helped me because I just start, started working again. And I, I actually, I'm glad I went back out because if I hadn't, um, I, I think I would have been worse off. My mind got back yeah. right. And I realized, okay, I'm, I can still do this. Shit happens. All right, they may not have my back, but you know what? This guy does, this guy does. I'm good. And I, I enjoyed my trips to Sanaa. And then at the middle of, middle of 2013, that's when, um, that's when we started to get shit on in the office. And that's when we decided as a team, um, we decided to, to tell the truth. And we, we just figured the best way to do that was the book. And because we, none of us trusted the media and we knew it was going to get slanted one way or the other. So we're like, well, what can we do? Well, let's do this. And we had contacts. I, I had a contact with CNN because I protected their executive producer whenever she went to Afghanistan. So I called her and I said, hey, I added something for you. I'm not going to tell you what it is. I can't talk about it, but it's pretty big. Um, can you help us? Because I think it'd be a great story that people would need to know. And um, it, it wasn't just, but it, I remember, <laughs> I that's kind of a story in itself. And I, but I remember sitting there with the team because we had just got shit on at the, at the funeral for, for Ron and Bob and when they put their stars on the wall and they made us sign another non-disclosure while we were there. It was it was totally, totally classless, they being the agency. And I remember us going to the Ritz Carlton and sitting at their bar there, all of us being pissed off and Jack saying, man, that was fucked up what they did to us there. And all of us were like, yeah, man, man, after all we've been through and they're going to treat us like that. And that's when we did, we're like, well, what do we do? Either we don't say anything and we keep working or we all come together and we do it and we say something and we're going to do it the right way and protect ourselves. But it has to be a team decision. And if anybody voted no, then we weren't going to do it. And we all said, yep, we're going to do it. And we all, we all came out together and said, no, and that's when, that's when the 13 hours in the books, it's, that's when it started, started happening. But all of us had been working except for Oz up to that point. Um, Tig went to Lebanon, Jack came to Sanaa with me and Boone went to Aiden. Boone went, went down to Aiden. So we all, we all just kept, because all, we never wanted to do the brother. I, I, we never wanted to do that. None of us wanted to be in that kind of spotlight. No. And I, yeah. I not, we, that was not the plan in life. And, but the, to make the decision as a team was to me, it made it okay. Um, but I, I, we all still had reservations except for the seals. Of course. No, <laughs> They're shit. waiting to write no, the I'm book. Giving them shit. I'm giving them shit. Um, I'm giving them shit. No, but, it, but yeah, that, that was it. Uh, we all just kept working until we just got fed up. We're like, screw you guys fine all right and then we all we all told the truth what happened well, Tonto, I'm going to tell you one uh, lighthearted story that kind of go along with that, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to tell that to give you a little bit of time because I always ask my guests as we kind of wrap up here, like if you found you know, 15, 16-year-old Tonto walking down the street, what would you tell him? But So I'll give you a second to think about that as I tell this. Um, well, one, uh, it's, it's kind of funny you mentioned flying out on a Libyan C-130 because I, I didn't know they had them. There's actually a Dobbins Air Force Base right up the street from me this is probably 15, 20 years ago. Uh, I was going to tour the base. They make C1. That's the C-130 plant yeah. for Lockheed. There is a spot, at least then, and I think it's still there, um, off in the woods, and there's like four or five C-130s that have trees growing up through them, and they are Libyan C-130s oh, no. that Gaddafi paid for before the embargo happened, and gotcha. they didn't know what to do with them. I'm surprised they didn't, you know, just, well, we're seizing these, and they're going to be, you know, ours or whatever yeah. it was but yeah that's funny that i mean they're sitting they're probably still sitting up in the woods right now 
That's so awesome. I, I, that being said, I thought I felt. Have you ever seen the movie Major League where yeah. they get on the plane and they're, that's what I felt like? Yeah. Like they're taping the propellers up on the outs. I thought we were going to die. On, I was like, shit, we're going to die on this thing. It's not ever going to fly. Yeah, that, survive that, that and then end up on that. Ooh. <laughs> it, so it looked like probably one of those planes that was. Yeah. It, it did. It scared. I literally thought that the, the the propellers had been taped up with electrical tape. It was. Yeah, it was scary as shit. That's so funny to hear that. Yeah. So I mean, <laughs> I, again, there's not many scenarios I would get on a Libyan Air force aircraft though you your scenario i think qualifies for that but i mean in kandahar i remember seeing the c-27 the the afghan air force got c-27s this thing sat it was in a dip in the ramp and throughout the monsoon season if you will probably four or five times there was at least the a foot of water into the aircraft just sitting there. I'm like, and for those who don't know, like that's not a good thing for planes. Um, so yeah, there you go. Uh, that's, that's the, that's a lighthearted version, but you can find Tonto battle line podcast as well as yeah. I think you'll see me and him together in the future. He's uh, a co-founder of E3 firearms association. Yeah. You can find it at E3 firearms association.com that's launching here in the near future. And then I'm excited yeah. to be doing E3 aviation yeah. association, which will be early next year. So See some when can we combine the two and shoot? Can I shoot? I want to shoot out of airplanes. Yeah, we, 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 yeah, yeah, we got to do that. We, yeah, we got to do that. I think I think that's legal. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> that would be awesome. Yeah, um, so it's kind of cool. But Tontos, now I feel like I've given you enough time to transition here. Yeah. Okay. You found 15, 16-year-old Tonto walking down the street. Is there any advice you would give him, tell him to do something different, et cetera, et cetera? You know, I, I, I really, I well, I... I um, I'd say watch out for women, definitely. <laughs> okay, oh, just be careful. All right. Um, I, I think tip, think with your big head, not your little one. <laughs> definitely would say that. Um, but other than that, uh, no, I, 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 I'm glad all the experiences I went through because it, it, it's helped me get stronger and stronger and stronger. I think if I would have missed any of that, um, I, I, I really wouldn't be the person I am today. And I, I like who I am today. I'm, I, I'm very happy. I'm. I'm very happy that I can sit on my porch and life's gravy now. Yeah. There's really nothing else I, I feel like I need to prove. I need to prove to anybody, especially myself, and I get to be a father and a husband. I so I, I would say just the typical things I think any any teenager needs to hear is this, and also listen to your mother. Your mother's always right, yeah. and, and that is <laughs> the God honest truth. But that's just the simple. You know, that's why this funny thing. It's always the basics. It's the fundamentals. It doesn't matter what it is. If you do the fun, and those are the fundamentals, especially as a teenage boy. Um, yeah, you know, just watch out for women out there. Not all of them, <laughs> all of them are good for you. Um, and again, yeah, and part of that also is if you think with your big head, not your little head, a lot of that will cancel each other out, so you'll be fine. But also the main thing is, yeah, my, I think my mom's always been right. I had to say it now, but yeah, yes, but, yeah. yeah. So, Listen to your mother, son. Listen to your mother. She is always right, and that's that's spot on. And so, yeah, those are the three things that uh, that I would say to my younger self. Everything else, hey, just go. I, I even tell younger guys now, just experience it. Don't worry if it's a failing. Failings is how you'd be successful. You learn from those failings. Um, maybe I would say that. Hey, don't worry about failing. You're going to be successful off it. But then that would eliminate some of the stress that comes with failing. So I, maybe I wouldn't, I'd be thinking that, but I'd be biting my tongue because you got to learn from those failings and how Absolutely. to deal with those failings to be successful. But um, yeah, yeah. But I learned that pretty quick at range of a with all the fuck, fuck games they played with us. Dude. So <laughs> I, I figured that out pretty quick. 
but uh, yeah, buddy, I, I think that's, I, I'm, I'm happy with, yeah. I'm very happy with how my life has turned out and whatever happens from this point forward, or from, I should say from 2017 on when I remarried with my, with my wife and my, became, you know, my, got my family back together and stopped being an idiot. Um, it's just been gravy. It's that's been awesome. Fantastic. So yeah, I'm very happy. I'm happy with everything. Well, Tonto, I really appreciate it. I mean, I might throw in there, you might want to get a new travel agent. Uh, it seems again, the places they send you, not the best places, but you know, again, this experience. I have timeshares in Mosul. Yeah. If you want to go, you go experience. I got them for you, man. Timeshares right there in Kandahar and Mosul. We'll send you out there. You'll love it. So you got to get don't. in. You got to get in early when the real estate's cheap. Now it's time. Yeah. <laughs> That's hilarious, brother. That's awesome. Awesome. But th thanks, man. I appreciate it, bro. You're awesome. Oh, Tonto, I appreciate it. Battleline Podcast and then E3FiremsAssociation.com. Check Tonto out. I really appreciate yeah. it. And it was good chatting. You too, bro. God bless you, man. Be safe. Afterburn Podcast is a proud supporter of Guns Gear Memorial Foundation, helping our veterans and their families when they need it most. To learn more, visit gunsgearin.com slash rain.